Good morning, everybody. This is Suzanne Erb calling, talking to you from virtual Zoom. And I'd like to welcome you all to our next presentation, which will feature Melissa Kearney. Kearney. Um, my, my stupid screen reader says Kearney. And so, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> this particular segment is brought to you in living color by Democracy Live. And, you know, I think I was going to read a, a bio about Melissa, but I think that really I would like to hear more about Melissa just saying a couple things about herself. Um, I, I just want to say one thing, and that is that uh, I have been very thrilled to get to know Melissa, and uh, I urge you all to do the same. Don't let her be like that old Maytag repairman who never got any calls because the product was so good. Um, Melissa brings a lot to the organization. She is not formally from Pennsylvania, but we really are welcoming her in her capacity as peer engagement, out, outreach, um, everything that she has to offer is great. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me present to you Melissa Carney. Thank you so much, Suzanne, and welcome to the second day of the PCB conference, everyone. Um, it's been a pleasure seeing so many panelists, seeing so many sessions with people sharing their crafts last night. Um, it was a pleasure hearing about our wonderful exhibitors and their products that they offered to the blind community yesterday. Um, and I hope that you'll stay with us for um, the rest of the day today and join us over the weekend. So as Suzanne said, my name is Melissa Carney. I am the Director of Outreach and Engagement for Pennsylvania. I'm originally from Connecticut, so not too far, but I grew up in, in the heart of New England. Um, formerly, I served as an intern for both IBM and the National Council on Independent Living, which um, related to today's presentation really got me on the right path to advocacy. Um, and that has been such an important part of my job as well for PCB in encouraging people to be as confident, as independent as possible. I think we all know whether we were born without sight, lost our sight early in life or later in life that blindness can be a barrier. But if we advocate for ourselves, um, that is a pathway to gaining that confidence and independence that we, we so desperately need um, to, to make a stand in the world. Um, oftentimes, things are not given to us. We really have to work hard for them. We have to work hard for that inclusivity that we strive for. Um, so with that being said, I want to share a little bit today about my thoughts on advocacy. Um, and I will say from the get-go that this is an interactive workshop. So I really encourage you all to participate. I will do my absolute best to put you at ease. Um, trust me when I say that I was not always a fan of speaking in front of crowds. And maybe that's not your forte. And that's all right. 
but I want to, to make sure that everyone feels comfortable that if they want to participate, they can. Um, so it's going to be a mix of, of presentation and, um, and interactive components. I'll ask you a series of questions throughout the presentation just to get those juices flowing early in the morning. Um, just so we're thinking about ways that we can interact with advocacy and you're not just listening to me ramble on the entire time. Um, so without further ado, welcome to Finding Your Stride. How to advocate for yourself. So I want to start by talking about why advocacy matters. And I, I told you about the confidence and independence aspects of it. Um, but the purpose of this workshop is, is to give you a snapshot of how you can become more comfortable with advocating for yourself. Um, advocacy is first and foremost about you. So how can you achieve that greater and um, independence and confidence. How can you prove your capabilities to yourself? Um, and before we begin diving into the different aspects of advocacy and how we can take that multi-step journey to becoming better self-advocates, I'm going to talk a bit more about my journey with advocacy because it was not a walk in the park. And I'll be the first to admit that advocacy takes time. It is not a skill set that we can develop overnight. Um, so I grew up in a very, and, and this story might sound familiar to a lot of Pennsylvanians. Um, I grew up in a small rural town. Um, for me, it was in Connecticut. Um, there was, there were no sidewalks where I lived no public transportation. Um, there was barely even a paratransit service. So I had to rely a lot um, on, on asking for rides from my friends, parents, my own family members. Um, so, so from the start, you're, you know, if you're living in that environment, you're kind of forced to step out of your comfort zone and advocate, even if you don't realize it. I went to school as the only um, the only visually impaired or blind person or a uh, person with a physical disability in general. And that posed a lot of challenges. I didn't know what I could advocate for. Um, I knew that there were accommodations in place. Um, I knew that I had to ask for all my materials in an accessible format, but I didn't realize really that, that was advocacy. I knew it as something I just had to do in order to go to school, in order to get the education that I needed and deserved. Um, and it wasn't really until I started um, finding mentors in the disability community that I discovered what it was to be a self-advocate um, and the value of being a self-advocate. And that even if we're making mistakes along the way or we miss out on opportunities to advocate, we're always growing from those mistakes. We're always growing from those missed opportunities um, because we don't want to create more of them. We're always growing in making sure that um, we, we are observing the, the rights and privileges that we deserve. Um, so once I, once I began kind of delving into the community um, and um, finding mentors who showed me how to speak up for myself, how to find my voice, how to even feel proud about my disability and about my blindness, that's when I understood that it's very much a circle. And what I mean by that is when you achieve confidence and independence and when, when you are empowered by advocacy, 
it's important to not let the the cycle end there. It's important to pass it on to others, help others find a voice so that we can all speak together. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to share a bit about um, what I've learned about advocacy, the lessons I feel important, um, and hopefully you can walk away today with a better idea of, of how you've already been advocating, how you can hope to improve your advocacy efforts in the future, and how you can just feel more confident in your abilities um, and not think of yourself as, as someone with a disability, but, but someone who has the advantage of, of having to speak up for themselves more and having to have a stronger voice in life. So I want to start by um, asking a bit of an icebreaker question for our audience members, and that is, what empowers you? What empowers you to take, you know, the next step in your journey? What empowers you in general, um, day by day? Whatever that means to you, I'm curious to hear your answers. And anything goes, please feel free to raise your hand. And Jeanette has her hand up. I'm an old lady. (laughs) And I would say that um, my confidence uh, to advocate for myself, to, to um, uh, I guess, to, to make my way through the world, actually came from my father who had the condition before me. But I think the point there is knowing someone else, knowing, um, I guess, he'd be a peer, even though we weren't in the same generation. Um, and observing how they have adapted, uh, the accommodations that they have made in life. So for me, that, uh, that was my inspiration. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And, and that goes along so perfectly with the theme of our conference, strengthening community through unity. Um, it really is important to find members of our community who are enduring the same struggles, triumphs, successes, so that we can bounce ideas off of them and we can lean on each other and teach one another. That's so, so priceless for becoming advocates. Thank you so much for sharing. Anyone else? Um, it's Chris Hunsinger. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at empowerment in a somewhat different way. I mean, what things have made me feel that that I can, um, that I can conquer a lot of things. And honestly, having the ability, once we could easily use computers so that I can do my own research, I can do, do my own, um, travel planning and don't have to count on someone else to take care of business for me. That was just so empowering once I realized that I could do those things. Um, <laughs> I, I can't imagine, I only wish that we were traveling more now, and I'm not just talking about COVID, but when uh, Doug and I got married in 1984, I had my little braille cheat sheet when we went on our honeymoon. Um, a travel agent had given us all this information, and I had written a cheat sheet, and we would check off all the items, and um, we didn't know where we were going in Montreal, uh, but we ran into a guy who found a lady who knew a man no and on and on it went um and she took us on um and she took us on a tour of Montre- of downtown montreal to, you know because we ran into her and she was from something like cnib but i don't think it was but nevertheless um 30 years later had that happened 
we would have had um, we would have had our GPSs, we would have had our computers, we would have um, had enough information that we wouldn't have felt like we were um, on a raft and not knowing where we were going. But we were determined we were going to do our honeymoon, you know, on our own and, and in a city that we didn't speak all the language because, you know, a lot of Montreal is French and neither of us do that. So, I mean, it was just so empowering to realize that now I'm in control of so many things that I wasn't. Right. And I, I would agree with that. And thank you so much for sharing. It, it's, it is so empowering to learn about our new capabilities and really kind of stretch our boundaries and our limitations and realize that there really are, aren't any limitations. Sometimes it's a matter of not eliminating things from our lives, but just finding new ways to do them and to accomplish the goals that we have set forth for ourselves. Jessica, you can unmute yourself. And we've also got area code 215 who's already unmuted. So why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I'm going to assume this is me. This is Pam Shaw. And I wanted to say that something that empowers me, um, it has to do with the life stories of other people. I love to read, especially biographies and autobiographies. And when I read particularly about blind people who had a lot less opportunity or a lot less option than I do today, they made it. They struggled with it. They had to deal with people who didn't believe they could do anything. And I remember talking even to someone who was older than me at the time who told me that even as a blind student, when they wanted to go to law school, no one would support them going to law school because they didn't believe a blind person could do it. So he made the money to go to school by playing the piano. And so for me, it is empowering to know if others could do it, how much more can I accomplish now that I live in an in an environment with a lot of, um, more, it's not perfect, but there's a lot more opportunity, options, and acceptance. So that's what empowers me. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for sharing, Pam. I, that's a wonderful point. And Jessica. Hi, Jessica Mandich here. For me, I think what empowers me is the, the ability to cross promote. As everybody in PCB knows, I am not only losing my sight to recognize pivotosa or RP, but I also have a kidney transplant. And everybody knows that it takes about five, sometimes six years to get a cadaver kidney on the wait list. And when I was first diagnosed um, with renal failure, when I first moved out here, they were telling me maybe one to two years that I would need a kidney. And, um, what I remember for me, you know, for the assessment class that day, we were all sent into this little boardroom. And one of the things that really jumped out at me was the way everybody was cross-promoting. And I'm thinking to myself, this feels more like about advocating for your own self. And, and I just I just sat there quietly for the entire hour, you know, just trying to figure out what's going to happen to me in the next couple of years. And at the end of that presentation, I remember somebody saying, you have to be your own advocate. I'm like, oh boy, I feel like I'm in line this rehab school all again, you know. But um, I did what I, you know, have been doing all my adult life, and that's advocating. So not only did I advocate for myself for a kidney transplant, I also advocated for the, the Donate Life community because once somebody comes off the wait list, another person takes your spot. 
So even though I have my kidney, it's three going on three years strong on this November, I still advocate. It's what I do. It's what I love to do. Unfortunately for me, you know, with PCB and foundation fighting blindness, I can like in the donate life community, I can just like pretty much go into one community, do what I need to do. And then, you know, go into another and just keep going. It's my advocacy for, you know, the transplant donate life community. It's never going to end. And I'm very appreciative that I can be a part of two wonderful communities to let me do that. So thank you for having me and I'm going to mute. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing and congratulations on, on a battle that has been so hard fought and, and won. Thank you so much. Keith. Good morning. My name is Good Keith morning. Ellsworth and I'm coming at this from a little bit different different direction than I think most. Um, I was sighted and started having issues about 10 years ago. I'm now in my mid-50s. So I've kind of been doing things backwards. For the first year or so, between myself and my girlfriend, we were just kind of, pardon the pun, feeling our way through this whole process. And not until I got hooked up with uh, PCB and the um, Blind Association in Washington County did I start understanding what all was out there. And right now I'm still in the phase of trying to um, ascertain everything that is out there that is available that I should be taking advantage of. And then I'm hoping in the future, once I get a little bit better handle on this, maybe helping others um, through the same process. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Suzanne, please. I, I agree with everything that everyone has said so far, and I'd also like to add that even even for those of you who uh, may not have access to assistive technology, that, that you can um, still learn how to advocate, advocate for yourself and that perhaps that might actually lead you to be able to advocate for getting assistive technology. And uh, I would just also like to say that uh, I can't agree more with the idea of, of having blind examples, examples of blind people who have made it. Um, and reading stories is great, but also having the experience of live mentors that you can talk to. Uh, I remember there was a time in my life when I did not want to uh, affiliate in any way with other blind people because I just didn't want to. I wasn't proud of who I was, and I wasn't proud of being blind. And I think that that is, is a very empowering feeling to when you become proud of who you are and what you've accomplished and just being proud to be blind. I, I, I think that's really great if you can reach that point. Um, because feeling good about who you are, no matter what it is, is is an empowering and wonderful feeling 
And everyone has a right to feel that way. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And that's that's a great point. Um, and and just to you know piggyback off of that, it's not about being proud of of what made you blind. You don't have to be proud of the cancer, the eye disease, whatever led you to be blind. Um, but it's about being proud of who you are and who you have become, and understanding that that life isn't over. There's so much you have left to accomplish. Um, you know, there's so much that you can still be proud of yourself for. You can be proud of yourself for coping, for finding that inner acceptance, um, you know, for, for just educating your family and friends about what you're going through and, um, you know, be proud of yourself for grieving, be proud of yourself for letting, for, for feeling all those emotions. Um, you know, it's, it's a journey for sure. And, and it's one that I think we can all connect on no matter where we are in life. Melissa, there's no more hands at the moment. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you everyone so much for participating and and sharing. And hopefully we can keep that momentum rolling. So I'm going to state a bit of an acronym for you all that I tend to think of um, when I think of the word advocate. This is a mouthful. I don't expect anyone attending this workshop to memorize this. Um, but I think it's more so about the words and the key lessons that are involved. So I tend to think of the word advocate as A for awareness, D for direction, V for variability, O for overcoming adversity, C for confidence, A for adaptability, T for tenacity, and E for empowerment. So again, that's quite a mouthful, but I'm going to just elaborate on each of, of those words and how they apply to advocacy um, and how you can, can move forward with your journey, personal journey with advocacy. Today, we're, we're only discussing um, self-advocacy, but after the conference, we'd love to plan a workshop on the second half of that equation, which is public and educational advocacy. Oftentimes the two go hand in hand, um, but there are certain aspects that are unique to each. So first I'm going to talk about awareness, how to identify when it's time to advocate. So these are moments of discovery or insight. Um, it could be realization that happens over time or suddenly but just trying to identify where you can advocate. When is it appropriate to advocate? When do you feel that you, you do not have to advocate and you're comfortable with a certain situation? Um, so again, I have another quick question for the audience. Um, and this is just a, a quick, quick answer um, that if I would love it if a couple of people would raise their hands again. Um, and that question is, which of the following situations in which of the following situations might advocacy be necessary? So situation one, a person begins to speak to and attempt to pet a working guide dog. Situation two, a person hands a blind woman print paperwork to fill out while speaking to a sighted companion about her need to complete it. Situation three, a blind man attends a party or gathering with family and friends. They sit him in a corner, all grab food without indicating what options are available. 
and suggests a game that is entirely visual. Situation four. A person wordlessly grabs a blind woman's arm as if trying to direct her while she boards a train, crosses a street, or enters a store. So again, in which situations is self-advocacy necessary or warranted? Okay, Jessica, you can unmute. Okay, for me personally, I think all the above. But in my situation, I would say the, the person being handed the print document I can't tell you how many times during my transplant evaluation I told them, can you just send me all my documents electronically so that I can use technology specific to my needs? But instead, I got the print documents. A couple months later, my waitlist coordinator ended up sending me all of my stuff electronically. But when I got the kidney, they handed me this very thick handbook and expected me to read it from start to finish. And as a transplant recipient, you have to, um, because there's a lot of, a lot of content in there. And lucky for me, um, Tony Schwartz and the Accessa Docs team, they were able to take my handbook and turn it into an accessible document. I think it was just a draft at that time, but I showed both my um, post up and waitlist coordinators and like, Hey, if you can show this to anybody who's interested, this is what an accessible document looks like and you're free to use it and to be able to, to work together like this, to get this put from print to accessible content for me, I can now go through that document without any issues. And if I still had any questions, whether it be for uh, my post-op or my waitlist coordinators or for one of the doctors, you know, I would go through that, that transplant handbook first. And then after that, I would just, you know, I would go to them. But yeah, for me personally, handing somebody a print document would be the one for me. But sometimes, you know, situations, if you're meeting somebody for the first time, you're not going to know. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Linda Davis. Is, I'm Linda Davis. And I, at one point, lived in Massachusetts and worked in Massachusetts. Um, and I was on a subway with my guide dog and oh my goodness, I tried so hard to advocate person wanted to pet my dog. And as much I tried and tried to explain that the dog was working. She just didn't get it that even though she was just sitting there, she was still working. Mm -hmm. Um, and that that's real frustrating when you when you are trying to advocate like that with a guide dog and i think it, in that and anyone with a guide dog really does have to advocate yes and i would definitely agree with that um i i lived in oh. massachusetts for a, a good amount of time as well and i took the tea pretty consistently in boston and um, I had a similar issue, um, pretty consistently. And, and I think oftentimes, yeah, when you, when you do have a guide dog, that's a whole separate situation, um, than, than having a cane, um, because it's a dog and, you know, people aren't trying to pet a stick. <laughs> they, but they really want to pet the cute dog. Um, so we do have to kind of become advocates by default, especially in that situation. So I, I would agree with that. Now I live in Massachusetts. <laughs> And I'm um, 
the chair of the advisory board for the MBTA. So, and, and I don't deny those things happen in Massachusetts. Believe me. Tony, you're next. You know, the situation, first of all, I think all four of these are situations for self-advocacy. But for me, the idea of someone grabbing my arm to guide me, though well-intentioned, what always strikes me about that situation is how out of control the situation becomes if, if someone takes my arm. So I won't move. I won't move in that situation. I stop and I reverse. <laughs> I've learned this little technique of very quickly doing this hands, uh, hand arm switch, uh, and I'll take their arm. But it's always important to remember uh, to keep in mind when situations might come up. You're in a doctor's office and uh, the nurse or attendant comes out to tell you uh, and take you back to the uh, examination room. And before we proceed, the first thing out of my mouth is, I'll take your left, uh, um, I'll take your left arm and you can guide me because allowing someone to guide you by the arm puts you in a dangerous situation because you lose all that information that comes from what you feel in, in their arm. But you can head that off right at the uh, beginning and avoid the situation. And I can imagine what it must be for women, um, a situation where someone comes up and, and grabs you, and you don't know if it's assistance or an attack. Jonna, grab it, please. Hello, this is Jonna. Um, actually, I've been in a situation like Tony was explaining, and I've also had issues with the uh, trolley. But um, I was recently at a doctor's office, and I wanted to to just have my dog find a seat so I could sit and wait for it to be my turn. And the woman that checked me in physically grabbed my shoulders and was turning me towards the seats. So I stopped and I simply explained to her, um, I will tell my dog to find a seat and she will find one. If it looks like, if you think that I'm having trouble, then just direct me. Simply tell me which direction and I will tell my dog. Um, because I can't stand when people come up and grab me. It just, it annoys me. Um, and I've had the same thing happen to me when trying to catch a trolley. Um, I'll be getting on and, and, and I had someone reach out and grab me and like try to pull me into the trolley. And I said, um, listen, I'm, I'm getting on. I'm going to go find a seat, but you grabbing me not only confuses me, but it confuses my dog who is trained to perform a task. If you just give me directions, I will figure it out. If I need your help, I will ask. Um, but it, it's, it's disturbing. Um, and, and, and someone mentioned earlier that it is, you can talk until you're blue in the face and sometimes people just don't get it. I have taken to explaining to people, listen, my dog is trained to perform specific tasks. And if you talk to my dog while she is working, 
it not only puts me in danger, but it puts her in danger because she then not does not know what to do and is confused. And that can affect, uh, you know, have negative effects, negative consequences. Um, I've started using terms like that because I find that if you tell people not only you're in danger, but you're, they're putting your dog in danger, sometimes that gets through because they like the cute dog. You know, like somebody said, they like cute dog. Oh, speaking of dogs. Speaking of dogs. <laughs> oh, okay. no, nobody's here. Okay. That, was, that was amazing timing, I have to say. Yeah, she's communicating something, but there's nobody <laughs> here, so I don't get it. <laughs> oh, it was a package delivery. Okay. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Melissa. Oh, and by the way, you have a beautiful singing voice. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, those are my, if anybody has any 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 advice on better ways to educate or different words to use or phrases to say, please let me know. But But like I said, I have been saying you are causing negative consequences for not only me, but my dog. Okay. Area code 510, please. I have never, I'm really sorry about your experience like that, but in all honesty, I have never experienced anything like that. I mean, if I had it, you know, but I, I, I mean, I never experienced anything like that. I guess the reason why I've never experienced anything like that is because there's always been somebody with me and, you know, and there's always been someone who got me up. But even, you know, and I guess because, you know, but I, you know, but nobody's ever done that to me. Nobody's ever physically grabbed a hold of me. But I guess the only reason why nobody's ever done that is because, because like I said, somebody's always been with me. And, well, you know, so, so, um, like I said, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. I just, you know. Well, thank you. And that, that raises a good point as well. I think all of, all of us have such different and unique experience experiences. And um, I'm not sure if there are any more hands raised, but we yeah, do need to Su- move on soon. Yeah, Suzanne is the last one. Okay, Suzanne, go ahead if you have a quick point. I definitely agree with with all of these, everyone who's talking about grabbing. And, and I think that is um i mean they're all i think they're all important issues um but i think for for me me the one that really gets under my skin is anything that invades my personal space mm-hmm. um and and that one that one certainly does whether you're using a dog or a cane um when someone grabs you uh, it, it just changes things so much in an instant. Um, and I think one of the problems that, that we face is that when people do things like that, they're not thinking, they're reacting emotionally. And it's very hard to, um, it's, it's very hard to, uh, um, to sort of uh, um, advocate for yourself when the person at the other end is operating completely on an emotional level. Yes. Because they're not thinking. 
And um, that's, you know, that's what really, really bugs me about, about um, any, anyone invading my personal space because, because I'm feeling it. I'm feeling invaded too. Notifications so, um, you know, that, that, that's, Alert I think, a very difficult situation. And I'm sorry for what you might be hearing in the background. Um, <laughs> no worries. Thank you so cut. much. I, I, I think that's such a good point that oftentimes for, for both parties involved, it's very much an emotional response. And that's why I've always believed that even if we're feeling frustrated and we're feeling discriminated against, Whenever possible, it's so important to de-escalate the situation as much as you can. I think our, especially if we're having a, an off day anyway, um, I think our instant, um, our instinct response is to snap and to become instantly frustrated. And we could, we could diffuse the situation so much easier by trying to come from a point of compassion because we're both you know, being emotional human beings, maybe the person just does has never met a blind person and is simply trying to help. Um, I think it's about just appealing to each other emotionally in a positive way to de-escalate the situation. And then only if they're not, you know, getting it, you might have to raise your voice and be a little more firm. But I, I think compassion is so key to educating people and and to advocating for yourself. And, and um, like Suzanne said, appealing to that emotion that, that everyone's sharing in any given situation. So I think you, you all basically covered um, the next part of the acronym for advocacy, which is diligence. So determining what's going on, um, determining how you can address the situation. Um, and you were all correct in that all situations warrant advocacy. Um, and the one situation I did just want to briefly touch upon um, that that no one brought up, and, and this is a hard one. Um, we talked about, you know, inaccessible paperwork, um, advocating against someone petting your guide dog, um, and advocating against someone grabbing you without consent. Um, the, the other situation that's really hard and that we don't often think about is um, being left out at family gatherings or um, a, a gathering of friends or whatever it may be. It's really hard to advocate, you know, to, to strangers. Sometimes we don't think twice about advocating to them. But sometimes it's especially difficult to advocate for ourselves around family or friends because in our hearts, we may know that they mean well um, and they're not intentionally discriminating against us. Maybe we don't want to start any drama. We don't want to offend them or hurt their feelings. But it's so hard to find a way to still appeal to those loved ones and um, continue to establish or, or reestablish a comfort level with the people who, who should be, you know, um, some of your top supporters just to make sure that you're telling them, I don't like this approach and, and this is why let's move forward and, and continue to be a family and really support each other. Um, so that's one that I just really wanted to address because that's often such a, tra a challenging one when we feel that, that, um, pressure from our own relatives and family members. Um, so the next acronym or next part of the acronym that I want to dive into is, of course, variability. And that is speaking up for what we need, but also what we do not need. So we kind of already talked about it. A lot of us do not feel comfortable with people getting in our personal spaces, understandably. 
oftentimes we have control of the situation and we don't want to relinquish that control to someone else that we don't know. Um, so that's, again, speaking up for, for what we don't need. But there's also no shame in speaking up for what we do um, or say we really do need help. And maybe someone is approaching it the wrong way. Um, say they are grabbing us without our consent. We can say, hey, thank you. I, I do need help. But let me show you how you can help me in a more efficient way um, that doesn't compromise my safety or my ability. Um, and instead, would you know, we'd be working together towards the same goal. So oftentimes, you know, it, it really is about um, what do I need to say? Um, what am I willing to say? And, and how do I say it? So, you know, that finding that balance of asking for assistance, but also knowing how to politely decline it. Um, so that's variability, just being prepared for situations in which you need to advocate for your independence and situations in, um, in which you need to ask for assistance. And that in no way, shape or form is saying you're not being independent. It's just saying, this is my way of navigating the situation that may be more, more appropriate at this given time. So next, I want to talk about overcoming adversity, and that's the O in advocate. Um, so that is recognizing your reservations and, and areas of improvement. So overcoming adversity requires a lot of self-evaluation, um, establishing your communication style, determining your comfort level, um, and things of that nature. So what would propel you to overcome a challenge? What, what are the steps that you need to take to feel comfortable in doing that? Is confrontation not your style? Do you maybe need to take a step back, a deep breath, um, and, and really figure out how you can address the situation and how you can, um, uh, either solve that situation at a later date or, or maybe again, um, like what I talked about earlier, de-escalating that situation. Um, you know, maybe you, you really want to, you know, take a step back, pull someone aside and educate them. Um, but it really is about figuring out your communication style, um, how you can best get your message, your preferences through to people and how, how you best put yourself at ease when you're trying to overcome that challenge and figure out how best to advocate for yourself. And again, within that, how to keep, how to keep calm, but also educating while being firm. There's so much that goes into it. But again, a lot of that is how you yourself determine what you need to do, because we can all give each other as a community, we can give each other advice, but the same advice does not work for everyone. Um, so it's really coming to terms with how you best react to a situation and what you need to do to um, to minimize that challenge and to make it feel um, conquerable to you. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the theme that we've all kind of been creeping around, right? And that's confidence, because ultimately we need a lot of confidence to be able to do all these things. We need a lot of confidence to self-evaluate, to overcome adversity, to determine when it's appropriate to advocate and what direction we should take. A lot of that does come from confidence and ultimately finding your, your rhythm. And a lot of this comes from utilizing your strengths. If you know that one of your strengths is your ability to, you know, your abilities to be patient and calm, 
maybe that's the way that you need to advocate. Maybe that's, that's how you, you use that calming influence on another person who really is just obsessed with the idea of helping you. Maybe you use that calming influence to reassure them that you don't need help. Or maybe if you're in a stressful situation in which you're, you're trying to run to a train, there's no one around to assist you. Maybe that's the situation in which, um, you know, you have to use your ability to, to stay calm in order to work through a problem and solve that problem and um, maybe find the, the main desk or the ticket counter to get that assistance um, or maybe, you know, be able to utilize that strength to walk up to a person and ask. Um, so just being able to apply your the fundamental skill sets that you already have. So it's not necessarily about, you know, starting from the ground up. Sometimes you already have those skills. You just need to figure out more universal ways to practice them. Okay, so another thing that helps me with confidence, right? Say you're about to embark on a really challenging scenario. Um, maybe you have to go to your doctor's office and ask for the 30th time for accessible paperwork. Or maybe you're traveling somewhere new by yourself or you want to challenge yourself to do that for the first time. Um, maybe you're going out on a mobility lesson and even though you're getting instruction, you're still really anxious about how you're going to apply it. Um, I find that something as simple as turning on a song that inspires us or empowers us is really helpful. So I call it your pump up song. Um, just finding small ways to put yourself at ease before jumping into a situation. Um, so that's your favorite pump up song, a hobby that you feel confident in just finding certain things to ground and center yourself um, so that you feel ready to take on that challenge. Um, and once again, apply those aspects of your happiness and of your confidence to advocacy. The next two parts of this acronym that I want to talk about are adaptability and tenacity. And these kind of go a bit hand in hand. You have to be open um, to how to different situations in which advocacy will be presented. Um, nothing is ever uniform. So there, there will be a lot of times where, you know, even though you established your own strategy for overcoming adversity and adapting, there may be a situation in which you really have to think on the spot. It may be something you've never encountered. You know, some of us have been really fortunate in that when we um, go out in public, people, you know, see us as confident. They don't bother us. They let us navigate to the train platform um, on our own. Um, they let us find a seat and, and they don't inter intervene. But maybe there's a day when we do run into someone who's trying to be overly helpful. Um, so kind of trying to figure out on the fly, how can we advocate for ourselves um, and understanding that every day is going to be different. Um, we're going to have our good days. We're going to have our bad days. We're going to have days that go so smoothly that we're, we're in awe. Right. But we're also going to have plenty of times where we're just extremely caught off guard. And oftentimes those situations happen on bad days. You know, our bus was late. We got to work late. We got to a doctor's appointment late. Um, and then on top of that, maybe we have to deal with that inaccessible paperwork issue. So oftentimes it is about adapting and breaking down that situation and realizing, yes, it's 
frustrating. It's annoying that they're, they all happen to coincide. Everything that's frustrating is just gathering and building. But how can we break down those situations and advocate for one at a time and not feel so overwhelmed? So again, just adapting to that multitude of situations and reading the situation. What does it demand? And again, what goes a lot into this is problem solving um, and that that's understanding that even though a certain situation may be consistent, advocacy does come in all shapes and sizes. Um, so sometimes you really do have to shelf certain methods of advocacy in, in favor of others. It, you know, and, and with that persistence is key. So if you're finding that a certain strategy isn't working, you have to adjust it. And sometimes that might be last minute. You can't always prepare. Um, and unfortunately, that is part of advocacy, understanding that you can't always prepare for what you're going to experience. So it's, you know, it's, it's again, it's not a walk in the park, but it's about doing your best to to figure out what the situation demands and how you best fit into that situation. I have... Um, Another quick question for the audience, and that is, which in which types of situations do you feel um, you you were prepared for, and which situations have really caught you off guard? Is is there um, a certain situation that comes to mind for for either situation, and how did you overcome that barrier of not feeling prepared? Christine, go ahead. Uh, Doug and I won a cruise as um, a prize at a convention. And we were thrilled to be going on the cruise, and we didn't think anything of it. Now, this was 1987, so you've got to understand that um, times were different. But we had, you know, been doing things. All of a sudden, the cruise line said, oh, you can't come on the cruise because you're blind. Well... Um, we sort of divvied up the work then. We, we, we were like, well, we've got to fight this. So like um, Doug took on the newspapers and I took on the company. And um, it was canard. And um, they said, well, you can't go on this cruise, um, but we will. Um, you can give your, your cruise to some a friend that you would like to give it to. And we said, absolutely not. If you don't want us on your cruise, you don't think we're sending any of our friends on your cruise. Um, so we got a newspaper involved. We called national talk shows. Um, we were actually on television about it after the fact about the cruise. Eventually, they um, gave us um, cruise spaces for two friends so that we would have um, minders. But, you know, this is the whole British attitude towards blind people not being able to do things. And Doug had his guide dog, and, and it was like, well, you can't bring a dog on the cruise. It's, it's a health hazard. And we're like, <laughs> we don't think so. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where we just, you know, we just kept going. But we were so flabbergasted when they told us we couldn't go to the point where um, we got some other um, cruise lines involved and they said well you know this is so nutty because cruise ships are like such closed environments you aren't going to get lost you're not going to go the you know you're not going to go the wrong way I mean you might go the wrong way but you, 
it, not a whole lot terrible is going to happen to you. Um, the place is designed so that um, people can walk when seas are rough. You know, they're like handrails places and stuff like that. So the least least likely thing. Now, I had been on cruises before that time with sighted friends, so I just didn't think anything of it. And I we, we were just absolutely flabbergasted. But that's when advocacy, we just went, oh, we can't. We have to do something about this. This is crazy. So we went and we conquered. Wonderful. And that's, that's a great example because you're so looking forward to a vacation and a chance to get away. And then there's a roadblock. Um, not expected. You know, your, your kind of excitement is flying high and then you find yourself in that sort of situation. So um it's yeah it's it's very frustrating but it's wonderful that you were able to overcome that and you know i think if there's things that we do want to enjoy advocacy is often the only pathway to to fight against the barriers that we have to that enjoyment area code 215 please ending in 759 Hi, this is Pam and i have an experience to share relative to the question I ended up, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shy about this, but I need to be transparent. I ended up working in a center for independent living. And I was not prepared to be in, a, in an environment where there were people who had disabilities different than my own, who seemed not to be able or at least comfortable with being sensitive to my needs, and yet wanted me to be sensitive to theirs. So what I had to do is check myself on several levels. Number one, I'm not being ashamed to do the things that were relative to advocacy, but also working on myself in terms of how sensitive am I to other people with disabilities who have needs differently than my own. Thank you so much. And and I, I do think that's a, a very... Um, valid point. I think we're so, not always, but, but, you know, even people who are, are new to vision loss, we're very familiar with the situation that we're in, um, or we're becoming, you know, somewhat familiar with the situation we're in. Um, and it's, it's so easy to forget, um, intersectionality and how we all, um, fit together in the disability community at large. Um, or how other aspects of our identity influence our blindness, whether it's race or gender or religion. There, there's so much to that. So many other barriers that can become factors within advocating for yourself that you might also have to overcome. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for that. I think that's such an important, um, such an important point. Area code 510, ending in 066, please. Right. My name is Todd. I should have told you that before, but I did. I forgot. Uh, my name is Todd. And um, I know what that's like to be banned for something just because you're blind. Because one time when I was a little uh, kid, my daycare was going to go swimming and they wouldn't let me because I was going blind and I cried about it. And But I want to tell you something really nice that happened right after that. They were so nice because they, when we got back, they they filled these tubs with water and let me swim, you know, for a while. It was just so amazing that they would do that. 
you know, and I, you know, I don't know how it happened, but I, I, I suspect somebody talked to them or, 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 my, or my mom or somebody talked to them and, and they let me swim next time. But the point, you know, but the point is, I know what that's like, you know, I, I, I know exactly what that's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, so I've, I've been there. <laughs> right. Right. And it's almost like you had to prove that you had the same capabilities as your sighted peers um, and you could swim just as they did. Um, you just had to prove that. And oftentimes that is that is something that we have to overcome um, and that that is something that we have to, um, you know, remain firm on is our ability, you know, and, and even if it takes proving ourselves to someone, our ability to compete equally, to participate equally, um, and to have the same opportunities as as our sighted peers. But to Pam's point, and this is Chris Hunsinger again, uh, to Pam's point, don't you know that you have friends who have vision loss who get irritated when the people who have hearing loss ask for their accommodations? Um, and, and, you know, some of those people may be people with both hearing and vision loss. Or right. they'll, or people will say, oh, we don't need a sign language interpreter for this meeting. We're all blind here. And the answer to that question is maybe we do because if, if someone who was hearing impaired and partially sighted came to the meeting or the event, uh, and there was no sign, uh, no sign language interpreter why would that person come if they couldn't hear well enough or if they knew that there was going to be a sign language interpreter wouldn't they be more likely to come and enjoy it's it's like the church that says we don't need to put up ramps because we don't have any wheelchair people coming well how many wheelchair people are going to go up those uh 11 steps to get into that church if they don't have a ramp and the same thing with um, other languages. We tend not to think of people who are disadvantaged um, because we don't have our system set up for multiple languages or don't have ways to communicate with those people. And then you'll see someone who is irritated because, oh, God, I have to listen to that person doing simultaneous translation. Jeez, give me a break. Think about it. What people right. have to do to put up with us, too. And that's, that's a valid point. And, and again, going back to that intersectionality and understanding that we all have different needs. And we're, we're at one point, point or another, whether we're blind or not, we're all advocating for something at some point in our lives. Um, we're all trying to make sure that we have the, the services and the resources that we need. Um, so it's important to remember that we're not the only community advocating. And we, we, in our advocacy efforts, it's, imp- it's so important not to stomp on another community's toes. Uh, we should all be working together to make sure that all accommodations and advocacy needs are met. Um, so I, I definitely, definitely agree with that point. And I think it's, it's so important to consider. Melissa, there's no more hands up, but I'd like to make a comment if I could. I'm Rick Morin, the host. Um, some of my most successful advocacy work has been cross-disability. Um, you know, example, the MBTA was going to raise fares and we formed a coalition across a whole bunch of different uh, disability groups. And the amount of learning that happened uh, amongst all of us about the other person's 
you know, disability was tremendous. And, you know, we formed a very, very strong bond and have done several things since then as a coalition. So there's a lot of things that, that are very unique to us, but there are a lot of advocacy issues also that transcend us. Thank you for so much for sharing. I think that's so important to understand on, on a national perspective, um, the work that ACB is doing to to combat that and to make sure that um, we're all working together across disability groups. So the the last part of this acronym is empowerment. And this is what I wanted to circle back to ultimately. We talked a lot about at the beginning, and thank you again for everyone who shared, about what empowers you. Um, and that's ultimately the, the, the last step to advocacy and kind of the theme that runs through advocacy is finding the things that empower us, finding reasons to advocate. It's so easy for people to tell us, well, you should do this, you should do that, but why? And oftentimes that why is found in what empowers us and how what we feel we can get out of advocacy. So oftentimes it is confidence, it's independence, empathy, inclusion, determination, perseverance. There's so many results of advocacy. And it's that empowerment that is the reason why we should advocate. So we can feel as though we each have our own voice, even if what empowers us, um, and this is going into what we hope to have the second part of this workshop on, um, you know, down the road at at the end of this year, um, maybe what empowers us is paving the way for the inclusion of others who are experiencing the same difficulties or struggles. So in that, you might save um, someone else another battle. You might lead the way to more public education and make sure that um, other members of and blind peers are not experiencing these same barriers because someone has already paved the way for them and and solved one case of discrimination so that others don't have to. So there's there's a lot that comes out of advocacy and the resulting empowerment that we have from advocacy. Um, for the last little bit of our our self-advocacy workshop, and it's amazing to me, it's it's past 1030. We are flying through and I'm so happy that we've had um so many willing participants. That's that's been incredible getting to hear different perspectives and hear from you all. Um, so for the last little bit, um, before we wrap up and ask for, for any questions from the audience on um, anything we've talked about, anything you feel I haven't covered, I just want to quickly go over what, in my opinion, are the six hard truths of self-advocacy. Um, so first, and and you'll notice that a lot of these we kind of already went over by default within the acronym. But first, um, we often do not realize that we are self-advocating. Advocacy is all often simple. Um, it's often not a large gesture. So something as as easy and as um subconscious of, you know, let's say asking for a photo to be described on social media so that we can have the same access to information. Or maybe it's asking about the scenery when we're on vacation. That's advocacy. So it's so small, 
but it's so important to the ways in which we're interacting with the world. And it really does help us and give us a confidence boost, even if it is tiny, right? Asking for an alternate format um, to a printed handout. That, that can, you know, depending on the situation, it can be complicated or it can be simple. Um, and once you have that accessible copy, you feel like you're on more of an equal playing field with your sighted peers. Um, and that's, that's empowering. But that was just a, a simple way that you were able to stand up for yourself, um, you know, with, without even realizing it. It was just something that you, you knew you needed, you asked for, and you received. Number two, self-advocacy skills do not develop overnight. And I cannot stress this enough. If you're new to advocacy, you're not going to be the world's best advocate tomorrow. Um, that's just not how it works. I think of it as, um, as if you're planting a garden. I like to use this analogy, right? So with a plant, you plant the seeds. And, and I don't know much about gardening. I know the basics. So for all my, my gardening experts out there, I'm sure you, you could add a lot more detail to this analogy. But you plant the seeds. You water your garden. You make sure it's getting enough sunlight to survive, whatever it may need. You nurture that plant. You let it grow. Um, and it's the same with self-advocacy. You're always trying to nurture that skill to help it grow. It doesn't blossom overnight, right? And, you know, flowers need to, flowers, vegetables, whatever it may be, need to be cultivated and grown over time. Um, and within that, you may not guess, get the best showing the first year, or even the second. But it's about that continual effort of making sure that there's always improvement, um, even if you can't see it in yourself, that's okay because you you eventually will. Your efforts will eventually pay off in a big way and you'll start to really feel that confidence because you'll be proving to yourself um, that your efforts are paying off and that you are growing. You'll notice it in your confidence, in the ways that you feel empowered, in your ability to adapt. You will notice those changes, even if they are gradual. So number three were the hardest truths about advocacy. While self-advocacy may mean that you speak out on your own, you do not have to do it alone. And this goes back to the theme of the conference, strengthening community through unity. It's so important to have a support network, to have to, to be able to delegate tasks and if maybe you're exhausted and you're and you're fighting a particular battle and you feel, okay, today I just can't handle it. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to, you know, to, to be able to admit that to yourself and to others and, and tell another person, hey, would you be willing to help me out with this? Would you be willing to help me pick up the slack and take a little bit of the weight off of my shoulders? That's what being a community is all about. You're not, you may be a self-advocate and you may find yourself in a lot of isolated situations in which you are your only advocate, but that's not always the case. Just as we're always learning from mentors, just as we're always passing on our lessons to mentees, it's a circle. It's a community. We're, we're all learning and growing together as advocates. Number four, it is vital to strike a balance between asking for help and saying no. So we talked a lot about this before um, when we talked about variability, but there is a critical balance of, of advocating for peer independence 
or understanding how and when you could benefit from extra support. Um, as, as blind and visually impaired individuals, we all have, we all have those days in which we challenge ourselves or step out of our comfort zone. But the balance of that attitude is being able to admit when, when we're flustered on a time crunch or, or just again, simply exhausted and, and need to reach out. So, you know, your, your voice does have the power to say no and yes in equal measure. Number five, sometimes you have to pick and choose your battles. And this goes, um, this goes along with the point I made about making sure that you have a community to lie on, uh, to rely on and understanding the value of having that support network and, and people to have your back. Sometimes there, you will have situations where you just might need to take a step away from, right? Maybe, maybe you're in a, um, I like to use this as an example a lot because this has happened several times to me. Say you're in a store with your guide dog and you know that there's not supposed to be any pets or ESAs or, or anything other than a service dog in that store with you. But as usual, there's someone who wants to take their dog everywhere, doesn't understand the law, and they bring their little dog in on a retractable leash. It's very frustrating. And in that situation, you may have the urge to advocate and say, this is really not appropriate. Here's why you're putting my guide dog in danger. Um, you're distracting him from his work. We could both get hurt. You know, even if the dog isn't necessarily aggressive, even if it's just trying to play, right? It's still dangerous. But you may, in that situation, just have a different priority of, okay, I can fight this battle or I can just get my guide dog to safety and and, and leave the store and just walk away. And that sometimes there's no shame in that if you need to take a step back. Um, and there's always ways to advocate later. Um, you know, you can educate on social media about why interactions like that are not appropriate, why dogs shouldn't be in stores. Um, you could write an article to your newspaper and talk about, um, the threat that pets pose in stores and in restaurants to trained service animals and their jobs. Um, there's so many different ways that you can advocate if you feel too tired that day or if you just want to get out of the situation. You didn't fail yourself. You didn't fail the community. You're just respecting yourself enough to know that maybe today is not the day, or maybe I can find another approach to the situation. Um, so that's, that's a big one. And, um, if I had to choose, that's, that's one of my favorites because I think we all want to put so much on our plates and forget that we don't have to carry the whole world on our shoulders. Um, that's not what an advocate is, is all about. All right. So, um, number six, and this is the final lesson. We never truly stop learning about self-advocacy. Um, I know there, there are some people who saw the workshop that was going to be hosted today and thought, well, I already know all there is about advocacy. I don't need to attend. I'm a pro. And you may very well, maybe, you know, you, you may be a pro. You may um, think you, you know everything about advocacy. You may be an expert. You may be advocating for 30 years plus. But kind of like the plant analogy, we're all growing and we all need to be there to pass on the lessons to other less experienced advocates. So I'm young. I, I've, you know, I consider myself a strong advocate. I've been advocating for a long time, 
But I know that there's been people who have been around the block a lot longer than I have. And they may be able to give me different perspectives and new perspectives. Maybe I'm exhausting myself with certain advocacy efforts and don't even realize it. And I can benefit from learning from other peers. So again, you know, whether you're, you're seasoned or you're new, there's always room for growth. And that's, that's all I have about the six hardest truths to advocacy. Now I want to make sure we have enough time for any questions, thoughts, comments before we conclude the workshop at 11. So feel free to jump in with, with anything you had had to add or anything you'd like to ask. Area code 717, ending in 346, please. And this is uh, John Horst, and I, I just wanted to emphasize, um, we talked a lot about um, people reacting, grabbing us, and all that. I just wanted to move into um, self-advocacy in terms of uh, a service agency, whether it be BBVS or local association for the blind or whatever, that uh, it's easy to complain about somebody not getting in touch or not following up. But I just want to emphasize that from the self-advocacy point of view, that we have a responsibility individually to uh, get what we want. I could tell you a story about Tony Swartz many years ago uh, in something he wanted from BPVS. They determined he wasn't eligible for that service, but he he did not let it alone. He persevered and persevered and finally got what he needed. Uh, BBVS cost me a year of college because of delay, and so I learned very well that I'm just not going to put up with anything, and um, and and have not. So and I had no serious problems with getting services from BBA, BBVS. So I just want to emphasize: you need to use self-advocacy if you want a service from a specific agency, you know, it's something they provide, go after it. And that's all I have. Jonna Gravitt, please. Hi, this is Jonna. Um, I just wanted to say that we're stronger together as a community. The more we advocate for ourselves, the more we can educate people and we get the um, treatment or services that uh we deserve. And, and I know that may sound harsh, but the more we educate and take the time to explain to people what we need and why we need it, the better off we are. And it's how we go about it as well. If we are rude and crass, we're not going to get the results that we want. But um, I also agree with Melissa. Sometimes you have to walk away. And, and if you know you're having a bad day, yeah, just 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 walk away. You'll have another opportunity to advocate. Trust me. <laughs> so you're um, right. There's there's an endless list of those opportunities. You're, it's not like you're gonna you're, because you missed out on one, you're gonna miss out on the next twenty. Trust me. Yeah, you have twenty more opportunities. <laughs> right. And and the only other thing I'd like to say real quick is my husband and I take the opportunity to educate people any chance we get and um we'll talk about 
blindness. We'll talk about how we deal with things in our everyday lives. We'll talk about our guide dogs. And we love to answer questions. We don't, we don't care. People can ask us the silliest, strangest questions ever on how we do stuff. And we absolutely love educating them and explaining how we manage our everyday lives. So I can just, you know, just, just saying in general that advocacy is one of the greatest tools we have as people with disabilities. Right. And we do use it in our, in our everyday lives. Like you said, um, whether it's just simple, you know, I, I, I can't tell you, it must be every other time I get in an Uber or a Lyft or, you know, a cab service. Um, I'm asked, how did you become blind? How do you do this activity? Um, you know, do you wish you could see again? Um, and you know, it's, it's up to you how, you how you choose to respond. I know some people aren't comfortable answering questions and that's okay. Um, but I think it really is an everyday experience that we have. And, and the more we answer, you know, answer simple questions like that and have those conversations with people, um, we are by default becoming more comfortable advocating and educating because we are making that initiative part of our routine. Jeanette, if you unmute yourself. This Hello. is Jeanette. Um, yeah, I was talking when we were talking about empowerment, um, as a child, um, with, uh, beginning, uh, childhood, um, uh, low vision condition, um, that my father was my inspiration and, and empowerment because I observed him as a, uh, as a businessman and, um, how he uh, either did his own work or delegated work. And I'm sure that's part of what gave me confidence, but um, I was aware of starting to lose eyesight in seventh grade. By by ninth and 10th grade, um, things were happening where I had to advocate for myself. Um, I had an English class where every Monday the teacher put a vocabulary list on the board and you're supposed to walk into the classroom and copy down the list and then study it for a quiz on Friday. So every Monday I go in and I'd have to raise my hand and say, I can't see the list. Can you please read it for me? Uh, and it always amazed me and annoyed me <laughs> that right. I had to do that repeatedly. But by darn, I wasn't going to fail because of their, um, <laughs> you know, stupidity. <laughs> and then um, I had a civics class or a social studies class. Um, every Friday when you walked in, there was a pop quiz. And you were supposed to walk in and be silent because the title of the essay you were to write was on the blackboard. Mm. And so every Friday, I'd have to walk in and say, okay, what's the title on the board? Um, I, and I think being being forced, because my personality was not to crawl in a shell, but to challenge them, <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that helped to build my confidence then, uh, as an adult because I was challenged young with that kind of thing. That's a wonderful point. Um, you know, sometimes we, we are forced to advocate whether, whether we want to or not. <laughs> so sometimes it's not a matter of, of choosing to, but sometimes we have to for the good of our, our grades in school or our employment or um, our success in, in everyday life. Sometimes we just, 
we have to. So it's it's better to accept that sometimes than than to fight what needs to be done. Christine, please. Um, I um, uh, I think that one of the sad things that has happened in in uh, education because kids now are mainstreamed and then the group of kids who go to uh, schools for the blind are usually multiple handicaps and then they're talking at all levels about the issue of of um, of, uh, of of lawsuits and they're afraid that if they have blind teachers or blind uh supervisors or whatever in school that there will be a liability issue that these kids don't get to see adults who are successful very often who are visually impaired and you know I had probably I was thinking at least six or seven teachers and there may have been more but just off the top of my head I can think of six or seven when I was growing up who were visually impaired and they had made choices about how to do their jobs and they had done it for themselves primarily because there wasn't a a, uh, a large uh, system out there to help teachers do it and I did go to a blind school but nevertheless what I'm saying is that I saw people innovating from the very beginning and I had teachers who said you didn't spell that right why didn't you look it up and I went I didn't know how to look it up and they said call the library ask them how to spell that word um, and it was like oh it's my responsibility to do that you know and I was someone who was blind and not not able to read the newspaper so I didn't learn how to spell a lot of stuff uh, and that kind of thing where you have an adult who says um, you can't sit there and just think someone's going to hand it to you. I, I really think that that was an invaluable set of lessons that 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 generation of students who are visually impaired learned. Now, I never wanted to be a teacher, but had I wanted to be a teacher, I would have had great role models, and I would have assumed at some point that I could have that I could have persevered. Now, I might have found out the hard way that I couldn't persevere and couldn't have been a teacher in many school systems because they weren't ready they weren't ready for us yet you know in the public schools they were afraid the kids were going to pull a knife on us and we weren't going to be able to tell that they were about to slice and dice us but uh or whatever or how would we lead the class out in in a fire drill um but all i'm saying is that those those uh, opportunities to learn about um success in a way, are going have gone by the wayside for this younger generation. And I don't see any more hands, Melissa. Wonderful. Well, it's um, and I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm part of that generation to a certain extent. But I, I would agree. I think a lot of people um, do expect a some amount of handout, and I think there's a difference between the help. And, and handouts. Um, I think it really is beneficial for all of us to be challenged um, and to have to to seek out those difficult situations. Be you know, so so that we become stronger, so that we do have a voice. Um, you know, we can be shy as blind people, just as we can be you know shy as sighted people. But shyness, in a lot of ways, to blind people is a hindrance because there's so many situations in which we can't afford to not speak up. But um, thank you so much, everyone, for participating. I've had a wonderful time um, running this workshop. 
Um, once again, as a reminder, I hope to be able to have that second component of the workshop, which will focus on public and educational advocacy. So be on the lookout for that information um, later this year. Um, and thank you again so much for to our, our hosts, for our fellow panelists who have jumped on um, to provide their input on the workshop. Um, and it's been a pleasure speaking with you all and learning about so many different perspectives. And once again, I'm, I'm always learning about advocacy, advocacy myself. So thank you so much, everyone. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your conference. Thanks so much, Melissa, for that great workshop. That was, that was very interesting. And I think we can look forward to lots more uh, coming in the next year the next fiscal year. Our next workshop this morning is coming to us from someone who is not a stranger, uh, Julianne Lieberman. And before we get into her workshop, I would like to just thank Tech Owl. Go Owls! Tech our whole lives uh, for sponsoring this next workshop. Julianne Lieberman has been an advocate, a teacher, an instructor. She has, she has run the gamut of all sorts of activities. I have known Julianne for many years, and we're not going to say how long for either one of us. And it is my pleasure to present to you Julianne Lieberman, who's going to talk about building communities through technology. Julianne, take it away. <laughs> Thank you, Suzanne, for the lovely introduction. Um, for full disclosure, I am employed by Tech Al, Technology Our Whole Lives, which is a program within the Institute on Disabilities at Temple University. We are the Assistive Technology Act program for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So, if, you know, just as a brief history, uh, the AT Act um, is a federally mandated program that all 50 states and six territories operate an assistive technology program that will allow uh, residents of that particular area, that's you know the state or the um, territory, to explore assistive technology. Uh, and to assist in the acquisition of technology. So what this means is assistive technology. What this means is that uh, in Pennsylvania, the program resides, our main office is at the Institute on Disabilities at Temple University. However, we have resource centers across the state. Uh, we've total of eight resource centers so that there's one that serves your county in Pennsylvania. That's how we divide up who is going to be handling uh, what region. So we do have assistive technology resource centers that um, can assist you in the process of learning about TechAL, assisting you with uh, lending library requests, um, as well as getting demonstrations of assistive technology. Our website has been uh, upgraded um, and so that we have a new lending library link so that you will then sign up as a user with um, your email, a username, and a password. 
And then that way, all your contact information is already stored at the, at the database, which is the national database. And that way, when you sign in the next time to borrow something else, and we encourage you to do that, um, all you have to do is put in your username and password. Everything is shipped to you free of charge by UPS. Inside the box will be a return ship label. So you can then apply the ship label uh, when it's time for your due date um, to return it. We've extended the loan time for all our devices to nine weeks. And that allows plenty of opportunity to explore, learn about the device, explore how to use it, um, and then return it at your due date. With the shipping label attached to the box, you have an option of requesting it to be picked up at your home. Uh, that means you'll have to wait for UPS <laughs> to, to hand it over to them, or you can take it to a UPS store that's nearest you and everything is uh, free of charge. Um, you know, I wanted to really focus in on how TechAl has expanded some of our possibilities uh, in light of COVID. And since I'm talking about the lending library, that was the first area I wanted to talk about. We recently received funding that expanded our lending library to meet the needs of persons during the COVID-19 crisis that we've been having in quarantine so that people have an opportunity to explore technology, connect with um, friends and family and loved ones so that you can stay connected with them via um, Zoom meetings, uh, email, you can also take advantage of telemedicine so that um, right now I've opted to do telemedicine whenever it is appropriate so that A, for me, it solves some of the transportation issues and B, quite frankly, exposing myself to others that may or may not have been vaccinated. So with that said, that our goal with expanding the lending library, we added and I say plenty because we're talking in three digits worth of these devices um, of laptops and Chromebooks and iPads that you can borrow. Plus, if you don't have Internet access in your home, you can request to borrow what they call a hotspot, which is a mobile uh, access point that uses uh, Verizon cell towers so that you can connect your device through um, the mobile hotspot to the internet uh, for your connectivity. So we've gotten a fair amount of responses from our seniors. Uh, It was directed specifically for seniors, but anyone who signs up as a user at our lending library can borrow uh, these devices. I do know in the collection um, of laptops, we have two that have been dedicated specifically for blindness and low vision, which means that they have all of the software installed on there. That's the third-party software, such as uh, JAWS, ZoomText, Fusion, OpenBook, um, and Duxbury uh, has been installed on these devices, um, on these laptops. Otherwise, the laptops you can borrow, you could have enabled the free uh, screen reader that comes with Microsoft, there are Windows computers, by the way, uh, that is narrator, and it's easily toggled on, um, on and off. You can also in, uh, use through the Ease of Access Center the magnifier. 
So there's a lot of options already built in on the generic uh, laptops that come out. So that's something to keep in mind. If you can't get the ones with all the JAWS and, and uh, open book and all that stuff on it, you can actually get um, a laptop that will work for you if you enable the accessibility features on the laptop itself that comes with Windows. On Chromebooks, they already have it built in. Um, they Their Chromebook, narr- excuse me, uh, screen reader is called Chromevox, uh, V-O-X. And um, it is a full screen reader. And uh, it's a little bit different navigation, but pretty close to those who are familiar with screen readers, such as JAWS. It's pretty close to the JAWS commands. Uh, the, na- the Again, they usually talk about the... Um, key that allows access, you know, in case of JAWS, it's the uh, insert key or the JAWS key. In this case, they use the search key as the key that's the modifier key to use the screen reader commands. So that's just a little tip on the Chromebook. They also have uh, the, their own magnifier on there built onto the Chrome box, excuse me, Chromebook. And it also has the ability to um Again, do the internet on there. One of the difference between, say, a laptop and a Chromebook is that Chromebooks are designed to be browsers um, and that you can enable the accessibility features. So they don't have native applications on them like you would expect on a laptop. However, that doesn't mean you can't do a Word document or a Google Doc um, and use it on that Chromebook. It's just that you'll have to use it through the browser and so that's not that hard because, again, it's Chrome browser, which many of us are very uh, familiar with. So when you borrow a Chromebook from us, uh, you'll need to enter a Gmail account in order to access uh, the Chromebook itself. But again, it's a great alternative. They're, they're smaller, but they do have a keyboard. So, you know, for some people that have a difficult transition into the touch screens, um, the Chromebooks are a great alternative um, for that particular purpose, and the accessibility is already built in. The iPads, uh, we do have uh, the latest version, although probably not since this week, <laughs> of the iPads, um, and it does have all the accessibility features of the iOS operating system, which is the Apple operating system, which means voiceovers um, can be enabled as well as uh, the Zoom which is the magnifier. And we, you can request specific apps that we may have available already on the, um, on the iPads uh, so that um, we can include that for vision. So there are a few of them uh, that we do have a license for that we can add, uh, one of which being uh, KNFB Reader. Uh, but one of the uh, most popular ones that are requested is the Microsoft Seeing AI. So that is something to keep in mind. If you wanted to borrow it, again, it's a nine-week loan period, uh, including the mobile hotspot, should you need that. And if indeed you need more time uh, because you you needed some extra training or you needed some extra support and you just or you got sick and you couldn't uh, do it for a couple of days, you can ask us to extend the, the library loan. And if we don't have a wait list, we're happy to do that. So that's what we've expanded with, um, you know, during our lending library during this particular time of quarantine. However, for, for especially for those that have low vision, uh, we do have a fair amount of the portable electronic magnifiers. 
So uh, the Ruby is very popular, without doubt. We have some of the Optelect ones. We have uh, Amigo from Enhanced Vision. So there's, again, a variety of selections that we can um, assist you with um, and you can borrow for the nine-week period. That, again, goes along with that. We do have some talking devices on there. We do have a Victor Reader Trek um, in the lending library. Um, and our newest addition uh, to, uh, it is a low vision device. It is the Humanware Reveal, which is a desktop type of um, device that folds down into the size uh, that would fit in a laptop bag. So I think the Reveal is a 15-inch screen, um, but it will fold down. Uh, we can't ship out the large desktop monitors uh, the, or the desktop systems because a it's not effective. Um, we couldn't afford to ship it for one thing, uh, back and forth all the time. And it's also a little more fragile. So having the, uh, humanware reveal that you can fold down, uh, and put into a secure, uh, box is probably one of the best alternatives if you're looking for a desktop video magnifier. Uh, so that's the, the newest stuff that were in there. Uh, I also wanted to mention our used equipment program, and that is where people can donate items that they no longer need. They lost more vision. They're not using their video magnifier anymore. If it's in working condition, we'll happily rehome it to somebody. Um, and again, that happens a fair amount. We've seen this kind of exchange with especially the video magnification systems that, um, you know, contact us. We'll connect you up with the used equipment program that serves your area, and they will make sure that they can get it to a new home. There's always requests for those devices. So again, if you're not using it anymore, consider donating it to the used equipment program, and we'll find a good home for it, for sure. Um, then uh, the other advance in the used equipment program we kind of went into a emergency mood, um, and it was part of our emer emergency support services. We sent out an urgent request. We even had a television spot on uh, one of the local TV stations on how you could donate uh, a, a tablet device, either an Android device or a uh, Apple device, and it would be restored back to factory. Uh, again, as far as it, uh, the upgrade to the software, it could only be upgraded to the generation of that particular device. However, it was still usable um, if it was still able to connect to the Internet and uh, do the basic activities, including the accessibility features. Uh, we did accept those. Um, and we I think the last time I heard, we distributed over 100 of those devices for people that were very low income and had no other resource for them to have a device like that. So we are continuing that in our used equipment program. In the introduction and description, I mentioned it as called Connect with Tech. Well, we've now used that term for another project that we're working on, which the details I can't disclose at this time because it's we still are working out the administration of it. So if you are in need of a tablet device for permanent use, it's possible that there may be a used one in our used equipment um, yeah, program. So you can contact us. Again, they're not going to be new in that particular program, but it is a possibility that you could receive that device. Um, now, 
The other program that's very popular at TechAl is our free special phone program. And uh, two years ago, we were very fortunate. Uh, this program is funded by the Public Utilities Commission and um, has some administration with OVR, but it is handled uh, through our program at TechAl, where we can distribute phones, both the traditional landline phones that are specially designed to meet a person's need of a disability, as well as mobile phones. And we literally have been very busy with people looking for uh, the mobile technology, the mobile phones, including iPhones and Android phones are also included in there. We recently had to discontinue our blind shell phone because they are not going to be able to be used in a 5G environment until um, we find out otherwise. Uh, so since many of our uh, residents live in a, in a uh, metropolitan area, we we unfortunately decided that it was probably not the best choice for us to include in our free phone program. However, if you don't want a smartphone and you want one that's accessible, our new phone, which is the Mini Vision 2, does have a talking keypad. It does have the ability to send text messages, much like the blind shell does too, using the numeric keypad, the alphanumeric entry. Um, it, it does do allow you to do that. It also has voice dialing capabilities. So that's kind of great. Once your phone book is set up in there, you can use voice dialing. You just press one button and you say, call whomever. Um, keep in mind, whenever you do any voice dialing, it has to be the name that you entered into the phone book. So if you call your friend Suzanne Herb, for example, make sure that uh, when you enter it, that you enter in as Suzanne Herb. And when you call her, you ask for Suzanne to call Suzanne Herb, not Susie Herb, not Susan Herb, but Suzanne Herb. Because otherwise, the voice recognition on these devices will not be able to find that in the phone book. So that's just a little bit of tip about using voice uh, dialing on any of these type of devices. So for the persons that are blind or visually impaired, we do include the iPhone. Um, currently, I believe we're still distributing the 10XR, uh, 10XR, um, which would be the XR. <laughs> we also are um, distributing the, the latest Samsung um, Android phone. So we do have some options there. On an iPhone, um, again, many people are very familiar with VoiceOver and um, the Zoom magnifier, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, the iPads. That's also on your iPhone that we can enable for you. We don't put any special apps on there in addition because this really is paid for for the purposes of distance communication. So it would be for um, using your, but once you have the phone, you can add whatever apps you want if you're willing to pay for that app, if indeed, if unless it's, you know, free. So that's one thing about the iPhones. Um, the Android phones, it does have accessibility features. There are some um, Android devotees, as I like to say, um, out there that use TalkBack, which is their screen reader, or their magnifier, which is the uh, screen enlargement type of um, assistance on TalkBack. Uh, TalkBack, one of the nice things that I've, I've looked into recently is, and I'm not surprised at this, uh, a lot of the screen reading programs, much like on the computer technology, eventually they start uh, developing um, 
either gesture commands or keyboard commands in the case of a computer that is very similar to each other. And I say that because uh, it, it makes that cross over from one device to another easily. Um, and TalkBack has done the same things. They still have some of the gesture navigations that were original to TalkBack. For those that have used TalkBack, that would be the, the L gestures that they used to have on there for the um, the different menus that were available. But now they also have the double tap feature and they also have uh, other features, screen reading features that are very similar to voiceover. So it's not as difficult of a transition to talk back um, if you wanted to change from the Apple environment or be introduced to it. Um, you know, I can honestly say that it's on par. The only difference between the uh, iPhone and the Android phone is that uh, the Apple products um, re- do have a very rigorous structure and to try and get their apps to be consistently accessible. Now, it's not perfect. I'll tell you that. Um, and there are more apps in the App Store at this time for persons that are specific to people that are blind or visually impaired. For example, Microsoft Seeing AI, which is the, I call it the Swiss Army knives of apps, because it can do um, read text as it sees it under the camera, uh, short text. It can read a uh, document. Um, you can take a picture and it'll convert it to OCR and read it aloud. It has uh, handwriting recognition, which I think is really cool that it can do that. Uh, so we actually can see the message that someone's written on that greeting card they sent you. Uh, and it actually worked for me. I thought it was pretty cool, a Christmas card I got at the office. Um, and again, they've got scene recognition, color identification, money identification. So all that is in that, um, I call it the Swiss Army knife, Microsoft CAI, and yet still not available in Android. I understand that they are trying to approach with it uh, and doing that. But I do feel that uh, if you are looking for something that's a free app that is fully accessible and designed specifically for the blind um, I kind of tend to recommend you consider looking at the iPhone uh, for that reason. But if you are an Android user and you love Android, they are adding more apps all the time. And some of the apps you may be familiar with, the applications such as uh, KNF, Read, uh, KNF Reader, Bard Mobile, they all have an app on both uh, Google Play, which is the uh, app store for Android and also uh, the iOS app store. So there are available. Uh, so the free phone program is an income-based uh, program. So you have to be low income. And I believe the ratio now is 20, uh, excuse me, 200% above poverty level. Uh, and it does go by households. So I can't tell you directly what that amount would be because uh, the number of people that live in your home um, can, the, the amount goes up, um, but it is only your income. So it's not a family income. So if you're on social security, for example, or SSI or SSDI, it is your income that they look at um, as far as eligibility. So keep that in mind if you're thinking about uh, getting, uh, getting a phone through this program. You also have to certify that you have a disability. So the certification comes from either a medical professional, um, a counselor, um, a BVS counselor, a caseworker, 
um, a social worker. Uh, there's they've expanded the people that can certify the disability on there. Uh, it was a lot more restrictive, um, say three years back, but now it's gotten a little bit easier to get um, certification that you indeed have a disability because that's what this funding's for is for persons with a disability. And we also have to document that either, especially especially in the mobile plans, if you don't have mobile service, you have to indicate what service you're planning on starting uh, so that, A, we can make sure we get you the right phone. Because as many people know, the uh, especially the iOS phones, the Apple phones, they don't, they're different for Verizon um, carrier compared to some of the other carriers. So we want to make sure we got the one that works for that particular um, you know, mobile carrier. It does work with the, uh, you can also you know, use the mobile plans that are a monthly um, card that you can get, the phone calling cards. We do accept that as well, but we need uh, proof of the intent. And then once you've established it and activated your phone, we need documentation um, that you have purchased this, whether it be a receipt, if you're using, um, again, these card plans or a copy of your phone bill um, once you have it established um, for that mobile phone. The landline phones, you know, the traditional big button phones, phones, phones that talk as you dial, uh, ones that have Braille on it. Those phones, we just at the time of application will need a copy of your phone bill to establish that there is phones uh, available in the home. Now, it does if your phone bills in, say, your uh, husband's name or your uh, son's name or whatever, it's okay as long as the address matches up to the address on the application. So that's what we need to have to prove that there is service in the home. If you have a plan that includes um, your TV as well as an internet, as well as your phone service, that bill is okay too. So you can submit the Verizon bill or the Comcast bill um, and just make sure that it's indicated that there's a phone line that um, is associated with that bill. And on the bill, it usually does indicate for telephone service. Um, doesn't necessarily have to indicate the number as long as it indicates there is service available in that home for that particular device. So that's our free phone program. Um, another great program, and as we all age, and I'm including myself in here too, as now I'm classified as a senior, <laughs> um, you can start losing your hearing as well as your vision. And so there is a special program for uh, persons that have both hearing loss and vision loss. Even though it's the National Deaf Blind Program, you don't have to be totally deaf, and you don't, or don't have to be deaf, I should say, or totally blind. You could be hearing impaired to the point where it affects your uh, normal conversation, especially over a phone. Um, it also can uh, indicate that you're legally blind. So I think of this in the category of persons that perhaps have a diagnosis, say, of ushers. So they've, had, they've not been a full hearing person all their lives, and they just start losing their vision as a result of progression over time. Um, they definitely would qualify. So you don't have to be totally blind. And you don't have to be uh, deaf. You can be hearing impaired to qualify that. That program income eligibility is also required. Um, the income is 400% of poverty level. However, they count the household income. So anybody that's a wage earner in that home, they need to have, um, again, documentation of their income 
And again, even though it's higher than the previous program I mentioned, uh, sometimes that can be a challenge to say if you're retired and you're living with a family member who's still working um, and exceeds the poverty level, plus your income coming in from uh, your retirement benefits, it can uh, cause a problem. But if you're on supplemental um, Dan Nutrition, the SNAP program or um, food stamps, they definitely that qualifies you right away. If you're, uh, your only income in that household is Social Security, uh, whether it be retirement benefits or SSI, SSDI, you definitely qualify for the I Can Connect program. And that program is also unique in the fact that you have uh, someone come to visit you that's a trainer that will then assist you in making a selection of what devices to meet your needs um, for t- distance communication. So it doesn't mean you're going to get a scanner, for example, but it does allow you for a computer with uh, assistive technology on it. And so that can be Zoom text or JAWS or Fusion. Uh, you can get a Braille display. You can also get a mobile device. So it could be either an iPad or an iPhone. Um, I think in rare situations, they provide it both. But again, it has to be uh, good documentation of why both are needed. But once you've been approved for the program, the trainer then can come back out and get you started on it. And I say that because the expectation, if you know nothing about computers, um, then you're kind of starting at ground zero. Um, The goal of the trainer in this program is to teach you how to use the assistive technology So some supplemental type of instruction may be required if you're brand new to using any of this type of technology. However, again, we've worked that out with people that are very novice to that. And we've worked out with other cooperating um, organizations so that can provide the generalized computer training. And we provide the training for the assistive technology that's included on those devices. So, um, again, another program that people are even aware exists um, in Pennsylvania, it's called I Can Connect. And, uh, again, those that would be interested in that program can contact us and we'd be happy to get either an application out in the mail or we can direct you to how to apply um, online for that particular program. So that's, um, again, I Can Connect. I mentioned the uh, free phone program. I mentioned our used equipment program and our expansion in the lending library program. And that was primarily what we focused on this year. Our website, um, for those that do use a computer, our website is www.techowlpa.org. And again, it's T-E-C-H-O-W-L-P-A dot O-R-G. And it has, uh, that does have accessible links. Um, and you can do it with a screen reader. You can also do it with a screen magnification software. We do have resource centers across the state. All the information about the resource centers can also be obtained there. Um, but you can also call the 800 number and I'll repeat it twice. It's 800 204 7428. Again, 800-204-7428. And if you call in the morning between 8.30 and 1 p.m., you'll get me (laughs) because I primarily handle the 800 calls um, in the morning shift. 
Um, that may change uh, coming up uh, as we're all uh, moving back into our office space. We have a renovated office space um, that we've moved out of one building into another building right across the street. So if you've come to our uh, location at Temple University, um, we're not far from, but it's a brand new space. Um, and we have a dedicated space for demonstrations, um, again, at the Temple University site. Each one of our resource centers do provide demonstrations either at their particular location or in some cases they can go to a community and provide demonstrations. Uh, even in our location here in uh, the greater Philadelphia area, I've done uh, demonstrations um, as far out as Coatesville uh, in Chester County um, at, at various locations in Delaware County and Montgomery County. So we can do it at a community location. That's our preference uh, so that we can do schedule demonst individual demonstrations um, one at a time. Um, that, that's preferred, uh, although we've done group presentations at these locations as well. In um, rare occasions where it is impossible for you to leave to go to either a community location or travel to one of our resource centers uh, due to physical um, immobility, uh, for example, you need to use a power wheelchair um, and you have multiple disabilities, obviously we can make an exception and come into the home. Although we try to avoid that because there are so many people that need our assistance that we try and maximize it by having either go to a resource center or to go to a community uh, site location so that we can meet the travel because of the travel needs to go from one location to another. Um, it is more time effective for us to do it in a, um, again, community location or in one of the resource centers. But, you know, a lot of people don't even know this technology exists. And that's really one of the main goals of any of the ATAC programs. For those that are calling or listening in from other states, as I mentioned at the beginning, each state has an Assistive Technology Act program. If you're able to do a Google search, you can put in Assistive Technology Act program and your state, and it will come up as result, the location that serves your uh, Assistive Technology program. I mentioned the mandate is for people to have an ability to explore um, and acquire assistive technology. And every state has the permission under that mandate to administer their programs as they see fit uh, based on their population and their location. Pennsylvania is uh, one of the most robust programs. And I say that with all mod due modesty. Uh, because we have a pretty extensive lending library system uh, set up. We also have demonstration centers across the state. So um, this may be unique for some of the states that they don't have that capacity. However, they do meet that mandate for you to explore and assist with acquisition of assistive technology. One of the common misnomers um, that people have when they think about the ATAC program in Pennsylvania is that they get us confused. Uh, we're not a new program. We've been around for over 25 years. Um, we were formally known as Pennsylvania's Initiative on Assistive Technology. In 2018, we technically rebranded to TechOwl. 
And part of the rationale for that is that besides having Pennsylvania's initiative on assistive technology as a long word, you know, title to remember, trust me, answering the phone was no picnic. Um, they, besides that, it was one of the factors in it was for us to uh, separate our services from the Pennsylvania Assistive Technology Foundation. The Pennsylvania Assistive Technology Foundation is an opportunity for alternative financing. So if you're low income and you need assistive technology, rather than getting putting things on your credit card or um, getting a bank loan, uh, especially if you need things like home modifications, Pennsylvania Assistive Technology has a cash loan program where they can uh, borrow the funds from a bank and you pay uh, a lower interest rate if you exceed the low income uh, guidelines. But if you have, if you meet the low income guidelines, you pay it back over time without interest. And I know some of our uh, peers at PCB have taken advantage of um, loans from a PATF um, and they are pretty flexible with their budgeting. And they're more than happy to talk to you about that. So I'm going to give a little plug out to PATF here. Their phone number is 888-744-1938. And I'll repeat that. That's the triple eights, 888-744-1938. And they also have a website, which is PATF which is their initials, .us. So don't put in com or org because that takes you somewhere else. It's patf.us. And it also gives you information at their website about applying for their particular programs. And I bring that up because assistive technology is not cheap. We know that. I know that. Trust me. (laughs) I know it quite well as a user. And so what you can consider is in addition to getting a cash loan a PATF, there's a small grant at our office. Um, it, it is part of the um, bequest of a, uh, a former uh, Temple employee or actually Piat, temp, uh, Piat employee who left us money with the designation to support the acquisition or payment of assistive technology. And I'd say it's a small grant because it's only $200. That doesn't go along very far um, with a lot of, again, the larger devices. Or, um, But if you bundle that with a cash loan at PTF, you've already um, reduced the cash loan that you have to make. So we do encourage that if people are interested in, in assistive technology to pursue both avenues. Um, and we need documentation at the, and this is called the Virginia Del Sorto Fund in honor of the person who uh, left the money to us, um, that you provide documentation of, um, A, the amount of the device, what the device is, description, amount of the device, how much is going to be covered by other funds, because we don't just write out checks for $200. Um, So, you know, again, it could be going toward upgrading your software, for example, um, if you need to do that. And so it's two hundred dollars that's available to you, and I say at the time because we're advocates uh, as advocates at TechAl. We, uh, although we're a part of Temple University, we are a private nonprofit within the Temple University, 
but we are still under their umbrella as an institution. So we have, we're trying to negotiate with them for us to have an ability to, you know, to add to that fund uh, so that people can then borrow larger amounts or excuse me, uh, acquire larger amounts in grants from us. We're working on it. Um, again, it's a kind of like a bureaucratic uh, step forward and two steps back, but we're getting there. And hopefully that that'll be um, a situation where in the future you may be able to get a grant for more than $200. But at present, that is the cap um, amount that you can ask for at um, TechAl. So I covered an awful lot right now. And I wanted to know if there was questions um, that people may have from the audience. Um, one thing I wanted to mention before we do that, open it up, is um, in the lending library, again, you can borrow a Chromebook, an iPad, or a laptop. We can provide technical assistance in getting uh, it connected to the hotspot if there's an issue. Uh, they generally are sent out already uh, enabled so that it will connect it. Um, in fact, I think they keep it turned on <laughs> when they ship it out to you. But they, uh, we can provide you some support in understanding the apps, but we're not going to really, we can't uh, spend lengthy time in giving instruction. Um, we've got people set up on Chromebooks. Um, once they got the Chromebook, uh, initiating the voice, excuse me, Chromevox on it uh, or the magnifier. And then we assisted them by helping them as they read the screen on creating a Gmail account so that they can get into all the um, aspects of using a Chromebook. So that's kind of the level of assistance that you'll get when you borrow the device. But we also then, again, refer off to other organizations where um, and needed support. And more to come on some of the expansions that we're going to be doing relatively soon. Hopefully, I'll get rolling before the end of the year. But Again, time has a tendency to get uh, go pretty quickly when we go into administration. So with that said, um, oh, I'm assuming we have an assistant uh, helping us here. Could you yes. let us know if speak, their hands raised? Sure, Ken. You've got area code 724, phone number ending in 507, please. My name is October Lowe, and I'm sort of at square one because you talk about G and accounts, and it's sort of over my head. So I wouldn't even know where to begin to borrow a computer, number one. And number two, I have a cell phone that someone gave me, but it doesn't have the buttons like a landline. And it's been sitting in my purse, and I am totally blind. So what do you have for people with no vision like me? Okay. Um, I mentioned the mini vision, which has tactile buttons on it. And depending on the activities that you wanted to do, such as, um, you know, placing a phone call. Uh, you can either do it by the pressing the buttons. It does have a talking keypad. Uh, it also has the uh, voice dialing. So you can do that uh, on the Mini Vision 2. Uh, so that's some of the features. But um, do you happen to know what kind of phone you have in your purse? It's just a type, as far as I know, it's a cell phone. <laughs> that's all I know. Okay, so you don't know whether it's an iPhone or if it's an Android phone? I don't know iPhone. I don't know Android from Bandoid. <laughs> Bandaid. Okay. Okay. Well, one of the suggestions I'm going to give to you then is to find out what kind of phone it is. Uh, find out who the carrier is. And then if you want, if again, with that information, 
Um, the resource center that serves your area can help you enable the assess, uh, accessibility features. You might need an sighted assistant to help you turn that on. Um, but you know, once you have it enabled, uh, if it is a smartphone, um, again, they are, they're typically ones with the touch screen that it's entirely possible that you'll be able to enable the accessibility, you know, get the accessibility features enabled so that you'll be able to use that phone. Um, again, sometimes they have uh, included on those phones sometimes are their assistants. For example, on an iPhone, the Apple phones, it's Siri. And you can ask Siri to do a lot of things for you, including um, call somebody that's in your phone book. Okay. So, and walk, likewise on TalkBack, they have a um, voice, a Google assistant on there that can also do the same things. So again, that's your first step, uh, October is find out what phone it is, who your carrier is and contact either our 800 number and I'll direct you to our closest resource center. Or if indeed uh, it's very possible, if you have a sighted assistant nearby, I can walk them over the phone on how to enable the accessible features on there. Is that, does that sound reasonable? What did reasonable? you say your number was again? What it's did you eight, say your number was again? 800-204-7428. Okay. I'll have to find out because I, I really, like I said, I am just, this is way over my head. I'm using an old-fashioned abacus. The granddaddy good. of computers. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? It's okay. And we, we do include low technology in uh, some of our devices. So, again, we can explore more opportunities for other things. For you, but let's get you started with having a phone in your purse that you can use. So, we can, you know, since you already have does your one. Computers have what they, uh, does your computers have what they call, quote, unquote, refreshable Braille? We do have refreshable Braille displays that can be borrowed as well in our lending library that would be paired with the computer. We also have note takers. We I don't do want have, to lose my Braille skills. Yeah, there there is a Braille. Uh, we also have some Braille uh, devices uh, such as the uh, Humanware uh, line of products. We have the Braille Note Touch. We also have um, products from a company called Hims, which is a um, that's they use a product. Um, their product line is called oh gosh, uh, I keep saying book sense, but that's not it. It's something on, on that line. But we can help you determine if that's Braille something. Sense. Thank you, Braille Sense, and we can have it um, then uh, walk you through on how to get that started. And that is a, a computer-like mm-hmm. device. Um, and again, that's uh, a possibility for you to borrow. Um, and so we can talk more about this at other times. So let's see if we got some other callers. But thank you for calling um, in October. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. Now, how do that. I unmute this? Okay. Keith. Good morning. My question was just how are we going to how do we keep up with the changes that you allude to that will be coming to Tech Owl in the next few months? Um. I say keep up with our, our website because we have so much information. And I say that because um, our website is so packed with all kinds of great information that um, it sometimes is a little overwhelming at first. Um, but we will have all kinds of updates. There's a news blog section uh, where things that are changing in the tech community in general but also things that are upcoming with Tech Al as well. So, um, you know, again, the best result is to go to the website, uh, techalpa.org, 
and that will give you the, the latest and greatest information. But you can also contact the resource center that's closest to you. And as I mentioned, if you call the 800 number, um, either myself or one of the other uh, staff members, be happy to give you the contact information for the resource center that serves your area. Um, that, that's probably hopefully answered your question. Yes, it did. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, Todd, you're up. All right. Uh, thank you uh, for the presentation. That was pretty cool. Um, I got a question about the Chromebook. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that um, you said that it had screen reader capabilities. It, I take it you can't use JAWS on it. That is correct, because it, it it's just yeah. like an iPad. It is uh, built in, and it's called mm-hmm. ChromeVox. But I can testify because I have one myself that um, mm-hmm. it, it is a very powerful screen reader. Um, Chrome Fox uh-huh. is also available online um, for your Windows computers um, that you can enable using when you're using the uh, Chrome uh, browser. So it is already available to you to, you know, to try out. Uh, you'll have to turn JAWS off once you, you know, get it going so that you can, mm-hmm. um, again, because you don't want two, <laughs> two computer guys talking to you. Um, but it, it, it is very flexible. And, um, I think on the Chrome of Chrome Fox actually did a very nice job. Our Chromebook, or I guess you should say Google mm-hmm. did a nice job, um, with Chrome Fox. A lot of schools are using this right now. Uh, I did a presentation uh, and, presentation last year uh, for this. I use units um, and uh, BVS counselors on using a Chromebook because that's what a lot of the schools are issuing to their students when they were doing remote education. All right, and another and another question, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. um, what what shortcut key would you enable to if you're using a, a Chromebook? What shortcut key would you use to enable Chromebox? Control. Alt and Z, like zebra. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and it, right. and it turns it right on. Thanks. All right, I'll, I'll right, I'll look into that because I and might you can do that online too. That, that is the shot. That's also the shortcut key if you're on a um, the Chrome browser. All right, thank you for coming. Then I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah no problem. Okay, Christine. Chris Hunsinger, two questions. One are um, any of the landline phones do they have memories with pauses that people could you know our our um, peers who have no uh, who have a difficulty with um, all these long numbers if they could enter um, a number and put the pauses in and put the uh, ID and put the you know whatever and put the pauses between them in the phone book in, in like a phone book or a memory? Uh, no, it, yeah, in the memory on on any of the landline phones. You know, that's a good question. I haven't explored that, um, but I will, again, pass that information along to PCB peers uh, as soon as I have an answer. I don't have an answer to that right off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. I think what that would be is that would you need to have some type of insertion or pause, like we do on your mobile phone, you'd use a comma, um, I'm not sure how that works with the memory, you know, for example, the speed dials. Well, um, I I have yeah. an old phone. I mean, I have an old Panasonic phone that has a pause button that you can program. I mean, I, I can put 30 different memories in it and okay. you can go up to 20 digits in a memory or something like that. You know, so. Yeah, our, we do have the uh, Panasonic uh, cordless phones in the, um, the free phone program. 
So that's a possibility going that route. The Panasonic phones also have a digital answering machine to go with it. Um, so that's the options that the, the advisory committee for the PUC uh, recommended that we put in there. Um, and so one of the neat features about that phone, though, is that it has something called slow play. So what happens is not only on the answering machine, if you hit the slow button, it slows it down because I know about you, but I get all these voicemails from people leave these messages and I can talk, <laughs> talk too fast. I have to listen to it four times. Um, so it does have that ability to do that. And it also does it on incoming calls. So I had a great example of this with a, um, a customer that came into my uh, office when we were still doing in-person demonstrations who um, had profound vision loss. So essentially not much left in her vision. And she did have some hearing loss, but she was able to communicate, you know, um, through hearing, although it was more of an auditory processing problem that we kind of came to that conclusion. So she tried all kinds of phones and she literally, we would demonstrate it and have, you know, we'd call her on that phone. She'd answer it. Um, and she couldn't hear. And then when we put the, asked her to play, hit the slow button, she understood the entire conversation. And what that does is it actually is a nanosecond. I swear it does. The caller has no idea that their uh, incoming speech is being slowed down. But the recognition that she gave, it was a full conversation she had with one of my colleagues. And I thought it was really fascinating to witness that. So that Panasonic phone Indeed, if it can do it on your on your Panasonic phone, chances are you can do it on the um, one that we have in our lending library. But I really would like to see um, look into this further and pose that question to our phone people and see exactly if that's possible to do on some of the other phones in addition to the Panasonic one. A great question. What's your second question, Chris? Um, it was just to mention that when uh, we were at the ACB convention and Google was there and they were talking about that um, Chrome certification. And mm. I, I'm, I'm not saying that people need to get certified, but just so that people know that um, anyone who's willing to get certified can do those, um, those classes and mm -hmm. go through the certification process. And I was showing it to a, a patent employee and he goes, you know, I actually had to go get the Chromebook out and follow along using a Chromebook. It's not something you can just sit there and read. You have to learn all the, and so all the kids who thought that they couldn't use Chromebooks in school, it's just not true mm -hmm. if, if, if somebody teaches them how to use it. Right. And, and that's, that's entirely uh, true. Um, I know uh, I'm a certified as a low vision therapist and assistive technology instructional specialist with ACVRP, and they're prom uh, promoting that certification program uh, for uh, Google uh, for the assistive technology part. So, um, again, it's on my burner, <laughs> still on the back burner, but hopefully um, as things calm down a little bit uh, in my work, I should be able to look into that. But you can also get certified as a JAWS instructor, um, a Fusion instructor, and a um, ZoomText instructor at Freedom Scientific. Um, there is Apple certification programs that you could also explore um, if you're interested in getting into the field um, of using technology and teaching people others how to use it. I think it's a, a, a wonderful effort that these mainstream manufacturers are uh, providing uh, Google and um, Apple 
And I, I applaud them for providing that as, um, and you go pretty um, much at your own pace in many of these programs. So it's worth exploring. Um, and if anybody wants to talk more about that, you know, they can give me a call at the 800 number and we can chat about it some more. Thanks, Chris. Sure. One last question. <laughs> Su- Suzanne, please. I wanted to make a suggestion to folks. And this, um, this is where um, PCB um, peer engagement comes in, too. Um, last year, we had Julianne come to our chapter meeting mm-hmm. and talk. And you might want to consider inviting Julianne to come to chapter meetings, uh, say, about six months from now when things really start moving over at Tech Owl. Um, that's a great way for everyone to keep in touch with what's going on. And um, Tech Owl does have a very robust, very robust um, speakers program. So I encourage you to contact Julianne and have her come and speak to your chapter. Thank you, Suzanne. And, and, uh, and we also have uh, on specific topics, too. Um, so it is entirely possible that, you know, if your group is particularly interested in a particular area of assistive technology, again, we're not going to teach you everything you need to know about a computer, but we can also teach you more about your how to use effectively your screen readers or use your, and again, as I mentioned earlier, I did do a presentation with um, BVS counselors and uh, TVIs um, and last year on using the Chromebook with uh, Chromevox and Magnifier. So, it, you know, again, these special requests or something, if you really have a passion for it or you think that your chapter uh, members would appreciate that, um, all this can be done over a telephone as well. Um, and I've done that for um, a few organizations in the state. So more than happy to do that. We also have a very robust, um, and I say that, uh, we've gotten very much involved. Uh, we have a lot of young staff, and I say that because that explains a lot. Um, we've gotten very active in our social media. So those that um, are interested, we do have not only Facebook, we have Twitter, we also have Instagram. And our latest adventure has been with TikTok. And um, I, myself, personally, I'm not necessarily a big fan of TikTok. However, it's we've got one uh, video that was uploaded at TikTok. Um, and we do try to also migrate them over to YouTube. Um, and one of the videos actually got close to 2 million people that looked at that video. That's a lot of people <laughs> that looked at that video because we do all disabilities, not just vision. Obviously, we do physical motor control, um, other sensory disabilities. So, um, again, there, if we're talking about what's new at Tech Al, that's probably one of the areas that we're trying to reach as much as we can in the community. Uh, we've gotten a lot of traction because of, we can create some uh, assistive technology tools with 3D printing. Uh, primarily, the uh, requests have been for people that have physical uh, disabilities. Uh, so it would be uh, a jar grip. Um, it could be a door opener. Uh, so there's a lot or the different kinds of switch controls. We produce those with 3D printing. Uh, I think the low vision person might be what could request having something made. Uh, like a reading stand or something like that, we we can. So you can request to have something made for you 
uh, again, at our website. And that program has been really taking off. Uh, we had a call from New Zealand day, our, our inquiry at New Zealand, from New Zealand. So at really the parts are, you know, again, the information going out there is not just uh, statewide, but it's going out um, nationally and internationally. But thanks, um, Suzanne, for mentioning that. Okay, I think that brought us to the end. <laughs> thanks, Chris. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. I would day. recommend anybody who has questions for Julianne, please feel free to call her. And that number again is 1-800-204-7428. And with that brings us to a close of the Tech Owl presentation. Welcome to the Friday afternoon session of the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind Conference. Our theme again, just to remind you, is strengthening community through unity. Our first discussion this afternoon is called Increasing Accessibility with the Louie Voice App. And to talk to us about that, we have Pramit Bergava, who is the blind founder of the tech startup Vizio Apps in India. He's here today with two assistants to demonstrate the Louie Voice app for us. And so without further ado, we could begin that discussion. Thank you, Mary. Hi, everybody. Very welcome. This is uh, Pramit. So, uh, uh, so I'm the founder of Louie Voice Control, and uh, uh, Louie is really all about solving my own problem as I'm also visually impaired. And today, uh, helping me will be my colleague, uh, Joe. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. And Joe will do the hard work of uh, doing the demonstration. I'll, I'll just be talking. <laughs> That's a simple task. Okay. So uh, so I'll just start off with what is uh, exactly Louis Voice Control. So the idea is simple. Uh, Louis is like a virtual friend uh, running uh, on our uh, mobile phone. Just give it uh, voice commands and Louis will allow the user to do each and everything. Uh, inside out each and everything within a supported app. Currently, the apps uh, that are supported are Uber, YouTube, uh, WhatsApp, Google Search, Browser Support, Facebook Messenger, Contacts, Phone Calling, Text Messaging, and Email. Uh, right now, the app is in Android. It's uh, available for free on Play Store, though we have started work on the uh, iPhone version as well which we are hoping that we'll have a beta version out uh, towards end of the year or early next year. Okay, I'll quickly give you a little bit of my background and how, and more importantly, how I got inspired to build uh, Louis Voice. Uh, so I used to have a, a normal vision and uh, I, I'm a computer engineer and then I did my MBA and then I've worked with global companies like uh, Unilever, Motorola, Quest Diagnostics, and it was about 21 years back that a drug was given to me for joint pains. The drug did work in the sense that joint pains uh, disappeared, but then it left behind, uh, you know, the impact on the retina. It reacted on my retina and literally overnight my vision dropped drastically. And then over the years, it kept dropping and dropping and it would sometimes stabilize, then drop. But then, you know, when it really hit me was nine years back when all of a sudden there was sudden dive uh, in my uh, vision, uh, everything got wavy, foggy. Uh, I couldn't read a thing and I just lost confidence. 
I was sitting at home for almost two and a half, three years, practically doing nothing. And I was in this whole vicious cycle where friends and family were helping me quite a bit. Yes. But then uh, uh, now I realize, you know, you know as I advise me now, but, uh, you know, the more help that I was getting, the more I was becoming dependent, the more I would become dependent, the lesser will be my confidence. And it was just a vicious cycle where I realized that the only way to break out of it is really to start doing things on my own. And slowly, uh, I didn't know any visually impaired. I didn't know any organization as such. So I just kept on discovering things on my own. So I figured out the screen reader. First time I turned it on, I just couldn't do a thing because the gestures are completely different. Uh, the only way uh, to really get out of was to get onto Google and figure out how to get out of the, the screen reader. Slowly, I picked it up, figured out the gestures, etc. Uh, similarly, figured out NVDA on my PC. And, uh, you know, so this was really going through a path of discovery, figuring out things on my own, working out my own formula. The good thing is that this uh, therefore kept an open mind for me. So anyway, slowly I came out of what I call the lost phase, started doing some consulting work. And even as I was just settling down, I had actually no plans to build any kind of app, <laughs> not, not, nothing at all. I was just focused on, you know, just uh, like I said, just, uh, you know, you, you come out of it, you just want to start uh, stabilizing your life. Uh, so there was a couple of chance events which happened, which got me onto building Louis. The first one was a meeting with the, with the top executive at a venture capital company. It's a pretty big firm uh, out of Silicon Valley. They are big in India as well. So this gentleman heard my story, but he, 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 he just in between said, why don't you build apps for visually impaired people like yourself? I'll help you at a personal level. I was obstinate uh, because I had gone with an agenda of getting some consulting work. So anyway, I came out of the meeting. The more I thought about it, I mean, it took me almost two, three months. But the more I thought about it, I thought it was like a golden opportunity because really do you get a chance to leverage your own disability and build something that can really work, not just for you, but for many more friends across the world. Uh, there was also a study I came across in Australia where 95% of the people were on their deathbed when they were asked what they, uh, what they regret. Uh, they said not following their heart's desire, not following what they really wanted to do in life. And somewhere this just clicked. And I said, I'm not going to be one of those 95%. I decided to take a plunge because it really meant that I had to stop my consulting work. Then, of course, the question this gentleman asked me, what are you going to build? <laughs> so I had, again, no idea. I, I realized that as an armchair expert, it's easy to crib and criticize about uh, apps that are available. It's very difficult to answer the question, what is a good app that uh, you know I can myself build? So here again, a chance event actually came to the rescue. I had gone to meet a friend. He offered to book Uber for me on the way back, took my smartphone. I, uh, he asked me for my destination uh, in Uber. Uh, he told me uh, after putting in the destination, he told me the options that were appearing. I to make a selection. Similarly, told me the rights and the fares that Uber was showing up. Again, he made a selection as per my advice. He reconfirmed everything with me, including how am I going to pay. And then uh, I told him to go ahead, book, and even called and messaged the driver for me. On the way back in Uber, uh, this was something special because uh, I, as a visually impaired, you want to be independent, you want to be in control. And this was, of course, very convenient. So just like a flash, like a eureka moment, a thought came. What if I can build a virtual friend right there on the phone screen, which will do exactly what my human friend was doing? So it will take my voice commands. It will allow me to do each and everything within a supported app. 
it will do a continuous voice interaction for me and it will do a special hand holding recognizing that i cannot see the screen so ladies and gentlemen this is really what the concept of louis just give louis voice commands and louis will allow you to do each and everything within a supported app just as a sighted person would so i have already told you which apps uh, we do now of course whenever i speak uh, whenever the i say voice app the first question i often get asked so how is it different from siri or a google assistant so why don't we, we i was talking about uber because that's how the idea came so why don't we show you a, just a quick clip uh, which will also demonstrate the difference so jo jo if you can share uh, google assistant in action first yeah pramit i hope my video is visible now hey google Book Uber for Huda Metro Station. Okay, you've got some choices. Which do you want? Read out for me. Hey Google. Book Uber for Huda Metro Station. Okay, I found some choices to choose. You can say things like the second one. So, which do you want? Read out for me. I don't know what is the second one. Okay, so what was happening here is that uh, Google Assistant was, of course, th throwing up something on the screen which I couldn't read. I asked it for reader uh, to read it for me, but it went silent because that's the default mode. It keeps going silent. Uh, next time, because I said something second, a match happened. It opened up Uber. It put in some destination which I had no idea, and then again it went silent. So that's all uh, probably the best case scenario Google Assistant will do. Now let's see Siri in action. Hey Siri. Book Uber for Huda Metro Station. To confirm, there's one passenger. Two passengers. To confirm, there's one passenger. Okay, uh, one passenger. To confirm, there's one passenger. Yes. You'll need to open Uber to complete this request. Okay, so what was happening here is that uh, it tells you to open Uber Siri, but it really doesn't do anything. Whether Uber is open, not open, Siri really will not do anything in a functional sense. And then, of course, in a voice app, uh, you know, when we interact with each other, we all tend to be unstructured. So you have to build it in a way that uh, you know you can expect. Uh, it, so it's not just uh, you know uh, program for yes or a no, but it can uh, accept say things like one passenger, two passenger. Okay, now we'll show you Louis in action. Hey Louis. Hey mom, which app would you like to open? Book Uber for Huda Metro Station. Opening Uber. Uber is loading. Just a moment. Setting it up. Screen is loading. Getting things ready. Searching for destination. Huda Metro Station. Rugan. Delhi Expressway. Separate. Huda Metro Station. Rugan. Delhi. Select. Let's select a ride. Three rides from low to high fare. Touch with two fingers to select ride. Connect one connect. Send packages to friends and family. Moto 73 rupees and 887 paise moto. One 11:26 a.m. Affordable motorcycle ride. Uber Auto 110 rupees and 33 paise Uber. Uber Auto 110 rupees and 30. Select. Your pickup location is Rene Rwanda. Your destination is Huda Metro Station. Payment method: Uber Cash. 7,650 rupees and 42 paise. Let's go with. So you saw the dramatic difference and uh, what uh, Louis really does is that uh, it does a continuous voice interaction. In fact, it's the only voice app which will do that. 
it will uh, uh, it will ensure that end to end user is able to do each and everything within an app so not just this what we showed for example it can do multiple stop booking in uber one can share one's ride with the uh, family and friends one can even even when i am sitting in a ride i can change the destination as well if required so practically everything that uber has to offer is uh, voice enabled now what we'll do is uh, i'll request uh, my colleague joe to do a live demonstration we'll start off with uh, youtube So Joe over to you. Hey Louis. Hello Joe. Which app would you like to open? YouTube. Please tell me the name of the video you want to search for. On my way by Alan Walker. Sure, opening YouTube. Reading search results from On My Way by Alan Walker. Alan Walker, Sabrina Carpenter and Faruko on my way 3 minutes. Alan Walker. Play. Okay, play. I'm sorry but don't wanna talk. I need a moment before I go. It's not so close. Forward 33 second. Forwarding. like like play comment speak your comment this is my favorite song got it this is my favorite song Send, rewrite, continue writing or cancel. Send. Comment added. Play. Share. I support sharing through WhatsApp. Continue. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, sharing on WhatsApp. Say contact name or spell first name. Robin. Got it. Robin. I found one result. Robin. No more contacts. Select. Okay, add more. Done. Or cancel. Done. Video shared. Going back to YouTube. Play. Replay. Play again. I'm sorry, but don't wanna talk. I need a moment before I go. Pause. Shut up. Right. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, so, by the way, uh, one other thing Louis can do is also automatically skip ads whenever they uh, appear. Uh, now, just to tell you, uh, uh, we currently have users in about 100 countries across the world. The app is only in English uh, right now, and uh, there is of course uh, a lot of development which is bases uh, user feedback. Uh, 
uh, we have just started work on uh, bringing it in multiple languages. We just started uh, apart from English and Hindi, and then the next one we'll do is Spanish. And hopefully every six weeks or so, we plan to introduce uh, uh, one language after another. So cover top 17, 18 languages in the world. Uh, next, I'll request uh, Joe to show Gmail, uh, which again, a lot of users told us they find it difficult, complex to handle. Hey, Louis. Contact. 
Got it. Chromex say yes to confirm. Or no to re-enter the name. Yes. Contact safe Chromex 9811886001. Call, message, edit, delete, block, search, or cancel. Edit. Want to edit name or number? Name. Say or spell the new name. Boss. Got it. Boss. Save. Edit name. Or cancel. Save. Okay. Name edited. Boss 9811886001. Call. Message. Edit. Delete. Message. Speak your message. Hello, boss. Good evening. Got it. Hello, boss. Good evening. Send. Rewrite. Continue writing or cancel. Continue with space. Speak your message. Sending this message using Louis. Full stop. Got it. Hello, boss. Good evening. Sending this message using Louis. Send. Rewrite. Continue writing or cancel. Send. Message sent. Message home screen. Message from Tiny, the 17th of... Currently so... Close. Closing message. Which app would you like to open? Make a call to boss. Phone call or WhatsApp call? Phone call. I found one result. Boss, 9811886001. Boss, nine. Call. Okay, calling boss. Um. Meet and Jewel. This is um your your host this afternoon, and this has been an absolutely fantastic um demonstration. What I was gonna um suggest is that maybe we take a couple of questions because I'm sure people are burning with questions, and we're down to the last five minutes of the presentation. Absolutely, Barry. And this was anywhere where we are, we were going to stop ourselves. It's amazing. Thank you. I, I, it's amazing. I know so many people in my own circle who could benefit from this app. So I I suspect we have some questions. Absolutely. Area code 510. What's the name of this app again? Because I was listening and I heard it. It sounded pretty cool. What, what's this called again? Uh, the app is called Louis Voice Control. It's a Louis spelled out as L-O-U-I-E. And just to tell uh-huh. you, it's currently available for Android on Google Play Store for free. Uh, iOS version is under uh, development. We'll be having a beta version out by the end of the year. Okay. So it's called Louis Voice Control. And That's it's like correct. a walkie-talkie thing. It's like a walkie-talkie thing. No, it's a, a com- no. It's a it's an app on your phone that you engage to engage other apps. Like it, it's something you use for your voice and stuff. Like uh, it's an application you would use to like tell your phone what you want it to do. That's what it's in in, oh. in essence. Okay. Do we have others? So so Louis so Louis so Voice. Is something you can use to give voice commands for your phone to do things like you normally wouldn't be able to do, correct? Well, that you, you might have more difficulty doing. Sheila, do we have uh, yeah, thank like you. download an app or something? Right, right. Sheila, do no, we have ma'am. others? No, not right now. Okay, okay. All right, I'm going to look into this thing. Okay, great. All right, uh, thank you so much. Sure. Hi, Tony, Tony Swartz, two mm-hmm. questions. First of all, I'm assuming that you can either speed up or slow down the voice. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But can just say talk fast or talk slow. Uh, okay. That will lower it up. You can say change voice, so you can change the voice as well. Okay. All of it with voice commands. All right. And my other question is, can you teach Louis the interface to other apps? I noticed that everything you have here 
you must have built a, let us say, voice interface for each of these. But how about an app that it's not familiar with? Uh, yeah, so it, no, we have to configure it app by app. So that's the hard work because apps actually vary so much. The screens vary so much. The whole logic, the user flow. So everything has to be therefore uh, sort of programmed. I just have a comment. The Louis voice control, it sounds really cool. And I have an Android, which I can use with that Louis voice control. So if it's free on the Android Play Store, I'm downloading it. Sounds great. And this brings us to the end of this presentation. I want to um, thank you, Pramit and Jewel, for your demonstrations and for being with us today and taking the time out of your, your busy schedules to, to demonstrate this amazing app.